they remove the body, mm-hmm. but they leave behind the pieces of it that yeah. didn't come with it at that point. Right. So you're like, they're like picking up. What Was that a wig? We thought initially that it was her scalp. And then we realized when we peeled it off of the bed, peeled off the along bed. with the skin from her neck, that uh, it was a wig. At least that's what we're telling ourselves. And there was... There was maggot larva nest inside there. And... You know, what is that, uh, ASMR? Is that what it's called? When, you, <laughs> when you're crunching the wig. Is that a thing? Yeah. They crunch wigs? My staff was obsessed with crunching the wig. That's why we called it Crunchy Wig. I don't think we got to that part of the video. Yeah. Oh, it's painfully honest, all right. Look at this shit. Scientology. Dumb, pretty people. I'll put this in the corner of the screen. Oh, my God. This is so cool. Old people people and heroin. Look at that shit. Inexplicable traffic. (laughs) Really old people. Yeah. Future NFL player. (laughs) Beginning of Latin America. Look at that. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Your grandparents. Uh Uh-huh painfully accurate yeah so i live where it says strip clubs and scientologists and it is 100 percent accurate we are the strip uh club capital of the world it's funny you yeah. say that that yeah. danny jones from concrete who i was telling you about was just uh-huh. on this other guy pomp's podcast down in miami mm-hmm. and pomp is like a former well he's not formal he's a venture capitalist uh-huh. like he came up in silicon valley at facebook like one of those people who analyzes yeah. everything yeah and so they're talking about like the demos of like florida uh-huh. and why everyone's moving there and stuff like that and danny's like the true go with the flow kind yeah. of guy like yeah. he's not thinking about that right. like he doesn't care and so pomp's like yeah what tampa's really happening now huh uh-huh. and danny's like yeah there's a lot of fucking people moving here and he's like why do you think that is and danny's like well Tom Brady's there. Uh, we got the Lightning. They're like really good, apparently. And I mean, we got the best strip clubs in the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you just see Pomp like, that's not what I was looking for. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Cool. He's right. He's totally right. I mean, and the horses, that's Ocala. Ocala? Yeah. It's uh, What's Ocala? kind of a suburb of Orlando. It's all horse farms. Really? Yeah. It's like in the center of the state. Hmm. And then cult-like football fans. That's fucking Gainesville. Spot on. Right? University of Florida. Pretty dumb people. <laughs> dumb pretty Definitely. people. <laughs> that, yeah. That's uh, Panama City. Yeah. You know, I I can look at this and you can say, hey, where is the, um, you know, beginning of Latin America? And I can say, oh, that's fucking Miami. Yeah. 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 It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, it's so... When you go down there, it's really cool, though, because it's like... It's ingrained in the culture of like the city. Oh, 100%. Even the billboards are no longer in English. I believe it. Yeah. 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 It's such a, Miami's such an, it's such a melting pot. Yeah. But I'll tell you, it's the best food and diversity of food that I think, and I've been all over the world. Mm. Um, If you're like, man, I'm, I'm from, you know, small town in Haiti, you can find a fucking restaurant that's a small town in Haiti. Uh, identical to it, and that's not something we get in Tampa. The crazy thing about mm-hmm. Miami is it's such, it's, and it's actually always been this way. It's a very international city. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. There's all kind. Of, it has something to do with like the number of international flights yeah. that they take through that yeah. airport, and so then obviously, yeah, it's Miami. Like people like to stay, but 
that is a different country to me. Yeah, like, it's like New York there. City with better weather. Yeah. yeah. It, ha- it has that melting pot feel to it. Um, and it's become just as expensive. It's it's getting outrageously yeah. expensive. And uh, they're losing the middle class there. Well, the pandemic happened yeah. and tech moved there. Yeah. And some of Wall Street moved yep. there. You know, that – the fact that I, – I was wondering if when they did it, I'm like, oh, they're going to be there for like a year and then be like, all right, it gets yeah. a little hot. You know, uh-uh. we're going to go back there and come here sometimes. But – They like the life. Yeah. It's a different lifestyle. Yeah. It is. Um, it's very – Laid back yet high class. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. You know what I was looking at though that I I never thought about this, but you know you, you look at Miami and and you're thinking, well, it's one of the biggest cities in the country, which even despite what I'm about to say, it is. Yeah. The population's not that big though. Mm-hmm. The population of the city is only like four hundred fifty to five hundred thousand people. Something like that. But what I have – I don't even know if they could do data on this. But what I haven't looked at yet is how many people are there at one time because the number of people who are just constantly oh, yeah. there mm-hmm. coming in, right? it's got to be in seven figures because it's a oh, huge yeah. city. Oh, it is. everyone goes to Miami. Yeah. You know? 100%. So like when we do territory separation type stuff, we're – we can't get a good, accurate, concrete number on Miami because it, it's so fluid. Mm. So it's anywhere between six and eight million people. That sounds right. With all of the suburbs, you yeah. know, you've got Kendall and, you know, uh, Cape Coral and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's just, it's such a huge city. The diversity is is like nothing I've ever seen. Now, because that same <clears throat> state, we're going to talk all about yeah. what you do. Your, your pages <laughs> online are amazing for, yeah. for people listening. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty who have seen your work and as far as like the content. But yeah. for, for the business, like do you – because you're in Tampa, do you spend more time like also getting out to Miami as opposed to other places because it's close? You know, it's not that close. So it's about a four-and-a-half-hour drive one way. Right, but it's um, at least – you know, it's it not is. like Jersey or something like that. So it, it kind of knocks us out when it comes to, oh, my God, we just had a, a murder. I need you to get here. It's like, right. man, right. it's going to be five, six hours till I get there. Right. So believe it or not, we don't have a franchise location in Miami. The closest we have is West Palm Beach. And now, that's only like an hour and a half, right? It is, but he's so busy in, in West Palm Beach, he can't even get to Miami. A lot of murders in West Palm Beach these days? Uh, well, you know, with everything that we do, you've got an elderly population, mm. right? So they're all dying eventually. And uh, he's just, he's overwhelmed with it, with with the amount of work there. So we desperately need somebody in Miami. Not just one location. We probably need three to handle that workload. I'll bet Miami's yeah. business is a booming down oh, there. huge. <laughs> yeah, huge. And how many places do you have roughly nationally now that are yours so we've got 46 as of today damn yeah 46 and they're pretty spread out i mean all the way from san francisco to montville new jersey yeah so they're all over the place and you were telling me because we're going to get into your background Mm -hmm. in a second for people just bear with me because we'll we'll explain everything (laughs) but you were just telling me off camera as well you started this business in 05 you didn't start expanding it as far as like multiple locations until 2016? That was never in the plans. 
to franchise. It never was. So in the past six years, you've added 40-some places. Yeah, it's probably been more with, if you count the ones I kicked to the curb. Wow. Um, yeah, it's closer to about 70. Um, you know, but franchising is a different animal. Yeah. Um, it, it's something that, you know, you could have the best sandwich in town and you could say, man, I have lines out the door at my restaurant. I want to share this with other people and I want to franchise it. And then the minute you franchise it, you no longer become that guy that had the best sandwich in town. You become the franchisor who is in charge of training guys to make the best sandwich in town. So you, your life changes, your business changes, your priorities change um, in ways that you probably never, never expected. It's also no longer, you know, because you're training people, you, you give up, especially in franchising, you give up a ton of control. Oh, tons. You know, you're pretty much like, well, I hope we trained them right. You know, well, even if you train them right, that doesn't necessarily equate to them doing it right. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. People people cut corners. People want to, you know, uh, we've caught people, uh, you know, uh, changing the uniform. I'm like, dude, that's not our uniform. You know, and they're oh. like, oh, well, it was cheaper just to print it on one side. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get that, though. But, you know, that's why you've got brands like McDonald's that, you know, they're charging you between two and four million dollars yes. to become a franchisee. And I'm telling you from I know from experience and seeing other franchises in the system, if McDonald's sees that you don't have the right decor, they'll literally come in there and shut your ass down. Oh, yeah. And with no yeah. questions asked. Yeah. So it it blows my mind when people get into franchising in a smaller brand, you know, whether it's a blind budget blinds or us. Um, and they're like, well, what do you mean I can't make my own T-shirt or create my own business cards? It's like, that's the whole point. It's yeah. It's a branding and it's supposed to be the same whether you're in San Francisco or Tampa, Florida. Do you think some of that also is like people take for granted isn't the term I'm looking for, but they don't think of like a franchise like yours like they would a McDonald's because you're literally – it's not like you're to the public most of the time when you actually have to do what you do, which is is a really hard job. But like it's not like you're – your storefront. You're right. coming in with the hazmat suits and cleaning up the worst thing that ever happened to somebody. You know what I mean? So it, do you think some of them are thinking like, well, it doesn't really make a difference because like people don't even know. Well, yeah, that could be some of the mindset. Um, but I'm seeing it with like different types of like, for example, I won't name a name, but there's a convenience store uh, that's a franchise and they're supposed to be buying all their stuff from corporate. Mm. But they caught them going to Sam's Club <laughs> and buying the same shit. And yeah. they're like, guys, you know, we have to have the same pickles every store. And it's like, well, this was cheaper. It's like, that's not the point. Yeah, The point is consistency and branding. And they just either don't get it or they want to buck the system. But my thing is, if you wanted to buck the system, create your own convenience store. Yeah. And go buy your pickles from wherever the hell you want. But don't come into the brand, pay to be a part of it, and then say, I'm going to buy my pickles from from Sam's Club. Yeah, it doesn't work. No. The whole point is supposed to be a form of like vertical exactly. integrate. It, it, vertical in, 
Why can't I say that right now? Integration. <laughs> Integration, yeah. yeah. I'm struggling on that. <laughs> yeah. It's early, but I usually record these at like three o'clock. Yeah. Usually. So right. earlier in the day is earlier for me. But I'm but, betting that if you walked into a McDonald's in Bangkok, it would look identical to the McDonald's in Dallas, Texas. Yes. And if it didn't, you'd be like, what the fuck? Something's yeah. not right here. I, See, people come, they get used to that consistency, and that's the point of franchising. I wrote my senior capstone or whatever term paper, yeah. whatever it is, for business school on McDonald's oh, and, no way. in Europe and how their expansion worked and what they did. Right. And I learned – like, again, you kind of take that for granted because you're like, oh, I'm walking into a McDonald's and that's the whole point. Right. They want you to feel like if you're walking to a McDonald's somewhere else, it is the same thing. Exactly. And the only thing that they'll switch up is – proper cultural things right. across countries which you uh, mm-hmm. you don't deal with that right. but you know everything else exactly the exactly. same cuz they can find it, there's a ton of people who would want to start a McDonald's right. cuz there's good money in it for them exactly you know they give a good deal exactly but in yours i mean let, let's let's go into exactly what you do okay. for for the people that haven't seen your page okay. but what is what's the name of your company and what are all the services you guys offer Oh boy, that's a laundry list. So the name of the company is Spalding Decon. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> My last name is Spalding. Decon is short for decontamination. We started in 2005 as a crime scene cleaning company. So originally, I was a police officer right out of college, and this was going to be my side gig, essentially. It was never intended to be my sole income or so a business it was, you didn't do this right away though as a cop no right? yeah. so i started as a cop in 1998 okay and then created this in 2005 got it so it was one of those things where hey you know i'm i'm looking for a business and it literally smacked me in the head a uh, light bulb moment of being at a homicide and the mother of the victim was like hey when are you guys coming back to clean this up and i'm like we, it was like we stared at each other for a while, and I'm like, I didn't know what to say because I had literally in seven years never been asked that question. <sighs> so I thought, oh, we don't clean this up. And she said, well, who does? And I thought, that's a great fucking question. And I didn't know. So I went and asked some other people that were on the scene, and they're like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, like nobody gave a shit. And I was like, this is horrible. Like it was a horrible homicide scene. Like it looked like he was on the couch, looked like somebody had busted through the door on purpose, like they were looking for him, Mm -hmm. shot him several times, and he just bled out everywhere. And, uh, you know, she finds him. So uh, she's trying to figure out, you know, uh, I've got other kids. How do I clean this up? And so, you know, I went over to CSI and I said, you know, you guys do this all the time. Who Who do you use for this? And they're like, I don't know. It's not our problem. So I started doing, you know, kind of some research and I'm like, is this, is this a business? You know, I hadn't thought about it. And me in that position for that period of time had never thought about it. The average American's not thinking about it. No. Until it happens to you, right? You're not planning on getting murdered or someone, I should say someone close to you getting murdered. Right. And I guarantee you, if you took a poll right now, 90, 95% of the people would say, oh, the police do that. Because yeah, it's just that. kind of a common thing. You would think that that happens, but it doesn't. And it's left to the homeowner. 
When I first looked at your stuff, though, and, and this is part of the reason when we were in the car today, I yeah. asked about the potential referral system or something like that. But mm-hmm. when I was first looking at your page, which that might have been two years ago now. It was a while ago. I kind of assumed without looking into it that you guys were just like the arm of law enforcement. Right. Like you're not officially law enforcement, but it's like, oop, call them up. That's what we're doing. And so then I was – that's why I was still wondering today when I asked you in the car, like do you get a lot of your business from some sort of referral from law enforcement? Mm-hmm. And you explained to me that doesn't – they're not allowed to. No, and you would assume – that makes common sense, right? Yes. That 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 should be an arm, even if it's a uh, contractual type thing. Like, for example, if you get in a wreck anywhere in this country, police come. They're going to make a report. If your car is not drivable, they will call for a tow, and that tow is on a rotation yes. based on a contract. Yes. So it begs the question, why is cleanup not on that same rotation of qualified companies to help these people out. So basically what they're saying is, hey, we're going to get your car off the road because it's it's a pain in the ass for our other drivers, but you're on your own to clean up the blood in, in the house, and it's shitty. It's really shitty. So you oh, have yeah. some states like California where if a motorcycle guy gets gets hit, killed, and there's blood everywhere, they'll actually pay a company like mine to come clean it up. In Florida and everywhere else, the fire department comes out and squirts it into the grass <laughs> or into the curb on the side. So, you know, little Johnny's walking and riding his bike and he falls in a pool of blood. Uh, that's where it's from. Wow. You, see, you don't, to your point, you don't think about this no. kind of thing. And I was telling you also, I'm constantly fascinated by finding out about new types of all different businesses all the time because – you don't think about these things, and then once you hear about it, you're like, that's a business? Yeah. But you then immediately think, oh, my God, what if that didn't exist? Yeah. What would people do? And yours is one of them because yeah. I can't even imagine. Like you just had someone close to you murdered or – and you'll get into some of the other stuff you do. Or like you know, someone close to you died in their home and wasn't found for a long time. It's a nasty scene, and and yet – you have to instantly accept this, and then once the authorities are done with whatever has to be done there, it's like, okay, all you now, chief. Yeah. I can't even imagine having to take – that's like having to do the, the embalming of oh, in, yeah. in a different way like, oh, yeah. of, of your own – It's a huge responsibility. Yeah. And it, it seemed at that time and still today, it seems very callous to me Yes, to be able to say it's not my problem. And that's literally what homicide detectives said. I said, hey – you guys see this all the time. What What do you do? He said, it's not my fucking problem. Yeah. And I said, well, that's fucking shitty. And he goes, that's not my problem either. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, you know, homicide, they're salty as fuck. And uh, they're doing so many jobs and investigating so many crimes at a time that it's like, it becomes robotic almost. Even if it's robotic for them, though, I'm curious if you would have some information on, on like how they they look at it like even guys like that i think to myself all right they obviously are good at compartmentalizing when they go to a scene been there done that they they know what to expect but they're still a human being right like they got to struggle with it well i'll tell you i i can tell you from experience no really? so yeah so from the time i got out of the academy 
seeing your first few homicides was shocking. And then after that, it becomes so routine, almost like you're eating your breakfast every day. These homicides, these suicides, whatever they are, are becoming so routine that we're literally eating a sandwich in the middle of it. You know, it, it's that robotic. Really? And you don't see it as a human anymore. Um, you see it as a job to solve the crime. And that's bad. Mm. But that's also why we have these issues with policing right now. So when all this stuff was coming up about, you know, um, discrimination and um, excessive force, everyone was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that's happening. But me, on the other hand, being on both sides, my first thought was, well, of course it's happening. Yeah. You put people in a position to where they're seeing the worst of the worst in the world and you're expecting that not to affect them? Right. It's impossible. We are human. And when you put us in a situation to where these traumatic events become normal, no wonder the divorce rate is insane with law enforcement. It's because it's impossible to separate it at, at some point. And you, you eventually get so mute to it that you no longer have feelings it took me two to three years after i got out to separate myself from what i became mm. it was hard very very difficult so you kind of you kind of just answered that how I, I thought you might but you didn't start it off how it would like line up to someone like me so what i mean by that is i was asking for example, like these ho these homicide guys, how much does that affect them? And you're saying, well, not at all because they get used to it. But what you're pointing to right now is that they train themselves – this is how I'm interpreting mm -hmm. this. Correct me if I'm wrong. But like they, other police officers like you who had to be on these scenes, people who are exposed to this kind of thing in law enforcement, they're trained to compartmentalize it and get used to it and be able to eat a sandwich in the middle of the scene. But they don't realize what that then does to them as a human being no. from a from a emotional understanding perspective that even if it doesn't – even if for a lot of them it doesn't ever manifest as like they have a catatonic breakdown because they realize they relive everything and they're suddenly wholly affected by it. Not that that doesn't happen to some people. I know it does. But like even if that's not the case, they still – there, there's an internal tick that lives there that then affects everything else in their life, and that has a negative net oh, effect on their life. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Because you no longer have normal emotions, and you can't just turn that on and off when you get home. So when your spouse is expecting you to have a normal emotion towards something, and to you in your head, mm. it's like... I was just investigating a double homicide and you're berating me because I can't choose what I want for dinner. Like, leave me the fuck alone. So that's where it starts to become a conflict. And it's not surprising that I don't know what the percentage is off the top of my head, but there's maybe two cops out of everyone that I know that's never been divorced. 
And it's it's brutal. It's rough uh, because it changes who you are. It certainly did to me. Yeah. I mean, mi- military as well is mm-hmm. the other one that comes to mind because to your point, when they're over there mm-hmm. in combat, it's the job. It is. You know, and they're, they got to protect the person next to them. And they may be – they got to see some crazy shit obviously. Mm-hmm. There, there's some things I'm sure like in the moment you're like, oh my god. But – at the end of the day, it's like you're constantly in survival mode. Constantly. So the way that a lot of them deal right. with it in – or not deal with it, but the way that ends up manifesting for mm-hmm. a lot of military and service members I've spoken with who have this, it's like it's the hypervigilance and not and that awareness of other people to the point where they trust nobody. Yes. And so they get in their head and then maybe they'll relive – some of the things that happen to them because they'll suddenly imagine that like, oh, the guy walking down the street could do what that guy well, over there did to my friend. Exactly. And that's you know? how we're trained. So, yeah. you know, from the first day in the academy, you're taught everyone is out to kill you. So when you're approaching every situation, whether it be a shoplifting or an act of robbery, you are constantly looking behind your back and you're constantly questioning mm whether you can believe what people are telling you and that unfortunately goes home with you. So when your spouse or your kids are telling you a story, your first inclination is to say you're lying or not believe them. And I grew up that way because my father was also in law enforcement. He was DEA Mm. and he was brutal. Like, you know, the interrogation techniques on us, um, we could say, yeah, I just, you know, just got home from my soccer game. Bullshit. You're lying. It's like, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. but I grew up that way. So when I was in the academy, you know, and on the street, I didn't trust anything or anyone. And it was constantly looking over my shoulder. And that is a hard habit to break. How do you break it? It took, you know, two to three years of not being in that environment, a war zone environment, mm. and letting your guard down to where you can feel comfortable a little bit. Because, you know, they're, they're constantly beating in your head that comfortable is the devil. You're right. going to fucking get shot. If you're comfortable and you think, oh, I'm, I'm pulling over a Mercedes. Oh, it's probably just, you know, rich people. You know, assumptions are what kill us, right? I'm pulling over a Mercedes, no big deal. And you let your guard down, that's when you die. It doesn't my, – my first inclination when you say they they beat into your head in, in the academy like everyone's out to kill you, my first inclination is like, really? Like that's a awful thing to have as like the, the set attitude for approaching a job. But at the same time, then you keep talking and I'm processing it and I'm like, I mean, what the hell else are you going to tell them? Because that's yeah. exactly what – like the, go you go into a Dunkin' Donuts and the wrong crazy person reaches for your gun because you're, you're putting sugar in your coffee exactly. or something. It sounds crazy. The chances of it happening are low, but they're not zero. Oh, no. And especially now. You know, I yeah. got out in 2005 and now it's even worse. Yeah. You know, we would get calls, fake 911 calls, just fake shit. And we would have to respond to it, and there would be people waiting to shoot. 
So yeah. that's something that you always have to look out for. But, you know, the environment in the system has created the monsters that everyone's complaining about now. Mm. So, you know, is there a fix for it? I don't think there is. Mm. Uh, because if you train these officers in the opposite direction, you're going to have a lot of lives lost. Yeah. And I, I think it's it's kind of tragic too. the calculations some police officers have to make now. And by that, I mean and, – and I, I get this too, which is I, – I, again, I don't know how, how to solve it either. But you will have cops in certain situations who now just decide like, oh, I'm not dying or going to jail over this. Well, there's a saying. When I was uh, – when I got out of the academy and I was first starting – my partner said, I'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by six. I've heard that before. Yeah. He, yeah. and that stuck with me. And then as time went on, I disagreed mm. because of what you're put through. Everyone's a Monday morning quarterback. Yeah. You're given seconds to make a decision. And I've had to make some decisions in seconds that, could have cost me my life easily could have cost me. And I always think of those. And I think what would have happened if I did something different, I would have lost my job, lost my freedom, potentially um, any, any ability to have a normal life. And I look at that and I think, I don't know, I, I might be carried by six rather than tried by 12. Especially, and you said your partner was saying that, what, in like 2000? Like, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is years ago. Yeah. The world is a different place now. It is, and uh, I disagreed then, and I, I disagree now. Um, well, now I, I would never go into that field. Um, it was right for me then. Mm -hmm. uh, it's It definitely wouldn't be right for me now. You're, what, why do you say that specifically? Well, I think you're you're highly scrutinized. Yes. Um. And I'm not saying that, you know, that everything that's gone on is is um, in law enforcement's favor. Not at all. That's yeah, not yeah. what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying. saying is the the ability to have all of these cameras everywhere has really highlighted the inadequacies of a lot of departments. Yes. Poor, poor training. Yes. Um, you know, in... I remember when I was going through the hiring process, it took me two years to get hired. And they test you on everything that you could possibly be tested on. But is there really a way to test and see if a person's a racist? Mm. And I've seen it. We've all seen it. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things that you're like, you know it, but what are you supposed to do about it? Um, Not hire them. No, but they can't. Like, they've already hired them because they've passed all their tests. Oh. There's no test for, are you a yeah. racist? Because if I ask you, are you a racist and you're racist, <laughs> you're going to go, no. Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> Hell no. I'm not racist. And then, you know, um, come to find out, you probably are. But I think the the problem is, is that you're, depending on your community, you're pooling people from that community 
And the South is notorious for having a lot of issues like that. And, um, you know, uh, I've seen my fair share of stuff and it's, it's not right, but it's like when you're in a position to do something you, you do, but a lot of times you're not. When you say you're not like, meaning you're not someone who's in charge of hiring and firing. Hey guys, if you're enjoying this episode, please be sure to share it around on social media and with your friends. Sharing the show around is the best possible help we can get to spread the word and grow this thing and allow us to continue to get great guests like Laura here. So thank you to everyone who's been doing that and thank you to all of you who are going to do it now. If you're on YouTube right now, please hit that subscribe button, hit that like button on the video, and as always, we'd love to hear from you down in the video comment section below. To everyone who is on Apple or Spotify right now, thank you for checking out the show over there. If you haven't already, please be sure to leave a five-star review on either one of those platforms and i look forward to seeing you guys again for future episodes no like i as mean simple as that or like if i see um i'll give you an example obviously not saying any names here but um i saw an officer put a female in the back of a paddy wagon van okay and he was in there for a while and the camera was turned off so that's not something that you're supposed to do. And when I saw him come out of there, he was zipping up his pants. So it's like, if I say something to him, he's going to deny it. But if she would have brought that up, then I would have, I would have said, yeah, I mean, I saw it. She never did. That's a tough one. Too, yeah. It's like, it happens a lot. And actually, and I don't even mean to say it like this, but also I'll bet it's even harder for a guy cop in your position because you're like, mm-hmm. am I even like, is that too personal to ask? Because yeah. you you think you know what just happened. But you like, think so, but like it was one of those things where I'm not going to ask because honestly, I don't want to know. But if she makes a claim, I'm going to substantiate it of what I saw. Yeah. Yeah, but it never it never came to fruition. He turned so, off his camera. Yeah. Isn't that like illegal? I wouldn't say illegal, it's against policy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you see what I'm saying? Like yes. you're yes. you know, I'm a 23-year-old kid and I'm being put in these situations to where I'm like what the fuck? This isn't right, but what do I do? Like everybody else seems to be going with it. It is it's very easy to say like, oh, there's a huge problem with cops covering for other cops. And on the surface, that is absolutely true mm-hmm. for, for certain situations. We've seen some videos where that happens and it wouldn't have come out unless there was right. a video for sure. But then there's also the situations where it's not as obvious or not. I shouldn't even say not as obvious. It's like. There's there's a crossing point between how serious is this? All anything you're looking at that's questionable another cop does, it's serious. But like, is it killed someone serious? Mm-hmm. Is it raped someone serious? Is it assaulted someone serious? And then there's also then the calculation of what's my job worth and how much am I going to do about it if I do point this out? Mm-hmm. That's a tougher spot to be. There there There's some sort of – I don't know where it is, but there's some sort of crossing area where it gets – gray area for me and it's less simple where i have a problem is when i see 
those extremely obvious ones where the worst thing's happening and it's not even just covering for it. It's like you're kind of actively participating mm -hmm. in it. Those are the ones, especially when it's on video because that's how a guy like me sees them. Yep. It's powerful. You mm -hmm. know, we can all look at it and be like, you look at some of the videos like obviously like Chauvin or something like that. There were three other cops there. They're just watching. Mm -hmm. You know, now a part of me says two of them were being trained. Mm -hmm. That sucks. That was a mm -hmm. bad day to be trained. Mm -hmm. There's a part of me that goes, that's tough. But still, it's like when something's that crazy right in front of you and people in the public are watching it, at what point do you, do you say like, all right, this, this isn't about the badge. This is just – this is a human issue. Yeah, and it definitely uh, was in that particular case. But the one that comes to my mind is uh, – and I can't remember what city it was in, but the female officer that thought she was pulling her taser – and she pulled her gun and shot yeah. the guy. I can't remember what. I know what one you're talking about. I'll pull but, it up. Yeah. you know, did she, she made a fatal error. But I, for, you know, because of what I used to do, I immediately put myself in her situation. And I thought, oh my God, that could have happened to any of us. You know, you yeah, purpose. Kim, Kim Potter. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Kim Potter. What what city was that in? It was in Minnesota. Oh, another one in Minnesota. Go help. figure. Yeah, it doesn't help there. Um, but, you know, I remember when they issued the tasers, they purposely wanted them on the opposite side of your gun so that you didn't make that mistake. But, you know, after I watched that video, I'm like, she's in the heat of the moment. She's trying to subdue this guy. I just, my heart broke for her. And I think the judge did too. After the judge was like, you know, you're sentenced to whatever she got. But she was just like, th there was no malintent. Yeah. I'm so glad you bring that up. I, yeah. I think, you know what one I was thinking about this yeah. with, which is going to sound funny to say, but I was thinking about this with Alec Baldwin. Oh, yeah. The other day. Yeah. Now, people, because... Everyone expresses their opinion and stuff. There's people out there who fucking hate Alec Baldwin or whatever. Yeah. Fine. Okay. But I was like, take away who he is mm -hmm. and think about the scenario. Someone comes into you and says, here's what just happened. There's a movie set with 150 people on it. Right. And in the middle of this whole movie set, the star actor who was casted by the director – they're having a good shoot. There's no motive. No one's ever uncovered anything like, oh, someone was fighting or whatever. In front of everyone. Right. A fake gun. What's supposed to be. They're technically right. real, which is now a part of the right. thing that's being talked about. But like a gun that is supposed to have nothing in it. Have blanks in it. Right. Yeah. Somehow goes off. Accident. Carelessness. Something. Mm -hmm. No one ever expected that. Least of which is the actor who probably has never handled a real gun in right. his actual life. Right. I hope he did it at range before, before right. some of these scenes he shot. But still, either way, point points no different. It's like, and then someone died. Two people were shot technically, but mm -hmm. the one woman, Helena yeah. Hutchins, took it mm -hmm. like in the chest. Yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. she died. It's like, forget who it is. Do you really think someone tried to commit murder in front of 150 people and happened to miss and shoot someone else that they liked and then hit the person somehow in, in a way that didn't even – they weren't even sure she was going to die? You know, what came to my mind first was – I mean it's hard to find a movie without some type of gun or shooting, right? Mm -hmm. So this is like the 1% that this happened. So the first thing that came to my mind is 
there there's no culpability in my opinion with Alec Baldwin. You need to look at the people that were in charge of handling that gun and why was there real bullets on there in the first place? So I think that's what they're investigating right now yeah. is how did the bullets get there in the first place and why were they there? Yeah, I have you ever seen the police security it's not security footage but like they're required to the take interviews one. yeah 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 have you ever seen the one where the armor the girl who's the i think that's what they call yeah. her, the armor armor comes. i saw little snippets of it so she comes in she was like 24 right. she was young young and like as a human being you're watching this and you realize like she's just fucked up yeah and and this it sucks to say because like what happens? Someone dies or the worst thing happens to someone. People want accountability. They want yeah, everything. Exactly. But like human beings make mistakes. Yep. And you have to ask yourself like I love that you use the word malintent. Mm-hmm. Part of putting someone in prison or accounting for actions is – and it's not all of it. But it's determining what's their level of danger to right. society. Alec right. Baldwin is not a danger to society because a gun went off. Right. I'm sorry. I just – I'm never going to buy that regardless mm-hmm. of what you think. I think it's I, – I think anyone else put yourself in that person's shoes. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. I mean when I saw her interview, the first thing came to my mind was, man, they they, they were looking for the lowest budget armor. She's a very young, inexperienced person probably making 17 18 dollars an hour to do this um so you know <laughs> the mistakes the potential for mistakes are going to be higher when you have an experience inexperienced person like that yeah you, you get what you pay for of course that's what it, and that's a, that's the thing like yeah everyone should be sued and and by the way to Baldwin's credit like he was there for the family right away he knew they were going to sue him yeah they did he Made no bones about it and and paid him, you know, because it's like, well, maybe there was something in there that that I could have been more careful and I'll buy that all day. You know, that is what it is. But the studio should have to answer for that. Oh, 100 percent. Because the way that it was portrayed anyway was, hey, we checked the gun. Here's the blanks. They handed it to him and he uses it like and he's probably done this hundreds of times in his career. So what would make him think this was any different from the last movie? Yeah. So, you know, uh, I think they're still investigating it, though. They are. And that's the why civil it, part was settled. That's why I bring it up, because yeah. the the DA, I don't know how this works, but the DA of that county in New Mexico yeah. had to request funding in an official public board meeting or something. Yeah. And ha- she has to give a reason, so it's publicly available. And she's saying, you know, we're expecting to have uh, several indictments to come mm. from this that are – and. I'm going to mess up the language. I don't want to say it wrong, but it's like in the related to the homicide clauses in the law, which means, of course, they're obviously looking potentially at Baldwin for one of those. And that's the one we most know about. But right. I'm like, how? What What? What was he supposed to do? Yeah. Well, even if you have no intent and there's a death, it's manslaughter. So which is a lesser degree. But yeah, I mean. Someone driving a car at 140 miles an hour in a 45-mile-an-hour zone who doesn't intend to kill someone but does, that's manslaughter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But someone who's an, a fucking actor on a set being handed a gun, mm-hmm. like you said, 
Happened hundreds of times in his career. Didn't think twice about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to go after him. I think they're we'll going to go after the armor. Yeah. And like what? Because that was the person that was responsible for the gun, the blanks, the loading, and the testing. Yeah. He's just handed it. Uh, if he does get charged, I don't see anything going with it. I don't either. Not at all. Even if a jury like didn't like him personally. Yeah. Like there's juries that can't put oh that aside, God. but there's don't some. Don't get me started on my thoughts on the jury. <laughs> I'm telling you. You're here. Let's well, get you started. Well, I mean, you know, I've been in hundreds of courtrooms in, uh, over the years and. You were an undercover cop too, right? Yeah. Uh, so narcotics. you had to testify. Yep. Uh, they try to avoid that when you're undercover as much as possible um, to not break my, you know, uh, my identity. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times you have to do that. But even when I was, you know, on the street, you know, I don't know why we are showing pe- people are susceptible, like we were talking with officers, to mm-hmm. being you know, misogynist or racist or, you know, whatever it might be. So why not take that human flaw away from our justice system and make it truly blind? Why are we identifying who's on trial? Why are we saying the gender, the race, that person, in my opinion, should be behind a sheet. They should be able to be present and hear everything. But we should never, as a juror, we should never know the gender the race nothing about the religion it it shouldn't matter and that is how you get rid of discrimination in the justice system you know i've never heard someone propose that before. i know well i've yeah i've talked about it before uh because i've been exposed to it for so yeah. long and i've seen the discrimination um no question uh, i've seen it and uh that is the only way in my opinion to avoid it I have to think about that a lot more. That when you first say that, I know I'm going to spend time thinking about that after this. When you first say that, that sounds pretty. I see good. no flaws with that idea because why would you need to see the person? Why do you need to know their gender? And then you just refer to them as, um, uh, you know, implicated, the person implicated, or you know, um, the person on trial. Gender might be the one that's tough because. <clears throat> I'm thinking about the worst crimes right now Mm -hmm. uh, to start with, like with murder, if a husband killed a wife. But see what you already did? You already assumed it was the male that was committing the crime. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. You see? So you could say spouse. Spouse. You're saying. Spouse. Interesting. Because think about, maybe it's a um, a homosexual relationship and you don't assume. And that's the whole point. You need to keep that out of the justice system because i'm telling you i've been a part of it for years justice is not blind no no it's not not at all and you know and another one more thing to add to that is it needs to be systematic across the board so in other words if i get five duis as a white woman the black male should get the same sentence as me if he gets five DUIs. But that is not the case. And it's been proven over and over again that minorities get harsher sentences. And it's bullshit. Malcolm Gladwell, you ever hear of him? I love Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. So you you I read some of his stuff. So did you read 
I always forget which book this was. I want to say it was Talking to Strangers, though. I love that one. book, yeah. And oh. you know, I identified with that book because it's Why? Kansas City. And I was a cop in Kansas City. So he starts the book out uh, talking about police officers in Kansas City and how they did oh, an experiment right. yeah. Yeah. on... Uh, what was that again? Can you explain that? Yeah, I'm going by memory here. But they did an experiment, a study, a social study, uh, essentially on how people, officers from different backgrounds treat others from different backgrounds. Mm. And what what the we have more in common than we do differences, believe it or not. Yes. But it's the human component that automatically looks at the differences, yes. right? Whether it's uh, rich or poor, white or black, uh, gay or straight. I mean, it's anything. It, people will automatically look to how are we different when it should actually be how are we the same? It should be. Yeah. But I, I understand mm-hmm. what, and, and to actually tie in something you said earlier too, mm-hmm. especially as a cop, if you're trained in the academy, like you said, mm-hmm. anything, you know, you, everyone's out to kill you. Well, now you go into full survival mode. Right. And in survival mode, you are looking for, you're looking for the red coat among the gray. Like Andy Bustamante said in here with the whole – he used a visual from Schindler's List, which some people misunderstood. They were thinking he was like talking about the plot of the movie. He was saying, no, that visual where you have everything's gray except the little girl in the red coat. Yeah. You want to – he was talking about it from a spying perspective where they're trying to spot the difference. He's like, you want to be able to sift out all the gray and right. find the red coat. So when somebody, to use your example, is coming into a life-threatening situation – they're looking for the red coats. They're not looking for the gray that's just like their gray in right. this case. You right. know, that's that's a really good point. But it's it's tough because like you were also saying, split second decisions with things. You know, what are the motivations behind those decisions? You kind of don't even have time to no. consider that. No, you don't. You're asked to make life-altering decisions in seconds and then you are judged by the world yes. in some cases for those decisions and um that's difficult when you're asking a 22 23 year old kid um maybe that decision wasn't right and it cost that person's life or maybe it cost someone else's life but it's it's um i think it's unfair you know we 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 do we even do it in sports I can't yes. believe he didn't throw that ball or whatever. And it's like, you guys, like he had, <laughs> you know, but we're talking about a game versus someone's life. Yes. And in both cases, though, you can also slow it down when you're looking at it afterwards. Right. And you can say, well, you know, what? one of my favorite lines people have for stuff, and I'm sure once in a while I got to be hypocritical and do this myself, but I try to check it. It's like. If I were blank, then I would blank. You don't know. No. You don't. There's nothing that you can 100% know until you're in it what you would do. But I would challenge everyone to spend time in someone else's shoes that's completely different from you. And uh, I have done that many times, and it's opened my eyes to things that – I would have never experienced had I not done it. Can you give an example of that? So um, being in a homeless shelter, mm. 
So um, being there, you know, coming from regular middle-class suburbia, I never had experience with homeless people or, you know, but we're taught, whether it's through the media or through our families, that, oh, homeless people, they're just lazy and drug users. Well, that couldn't be further from the no. truth. Um, and what I found is a lot of them suffer from mental illness. And this country does a really terrible job of taking care of people with mental illness. So their only survival mechanism is to go on the streets and not conform with regular society because they don't conform. So they're either um, panhandling or they're um, uh, homeless by choice because they just they can't conform to those restrictions that our society has put on people. So yeah. it really kind of opened my eyes to, um, you know, battered women uh, when they have kids very young, their chances for poverty are so much higher than, say, me that didn't have yes. a child young. Yes. Um, and that's unfair for for them to be hampered with that. So they're already starting out 200 yards behind everyone else. So their chances of winning the race are already negative. I wish more people could do that. And to add to it, I wish more people who had a serious law enforcement background mm -hmm. would would do that. It's not to say, I'm, I'm sure plenty do. It's I think just, it should be a requirement. Yeah. It, and, and if we're going to talk requirement, let's put a stamp on it and say what it is. Some form of psychological feedback counseling in mm -hmm. that way to be able to say, all right, let's not just debrief from a technical standpoint what went down in X situation or who was involved. Mm -hmm. Let's also debrief from like an empathetic standpoint. Like, right. okay, e even if you're talking about the worst person, why was this person this way? What, what, what led to it in their mm -hmm. life? I, I do think about that a lot, you know, with the worst people even. And I'm like, well, they were a baby once, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not like you can condone stuff or like mm -hmm. write stuff. Off. I'm not, saying that at mm -hmm. all i'm you know we have a society you really fuck up like that's what it is right you get what's coming to you but like how can we learn from that to try to you know for whatever the rest of this person's life is try to redeem them but also even more importantly try to avoid people like that getting to that point in the future well i think we're all a product of our upbringing yes so we live we 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 live and act kind of how we were shaped when we were younger. So I always said, you know, if somebody said, Laura, can you, what is your idea to fix the problem in policing? And like I said previously, there's no way to test if a person is biased or racist or, you know, misogynist in any way. But what I would implement if it were me would be, these officers, as a part of their training, have to spend one month living in a situation that's culturally opposite of theirs. Mm, I and like that. Because they need to understand other cultures and other the, the diversity of the population, because that's, that's who you're supposed to be serving. And that will give you that empathy that maybe a lot of them lack. Right. Because if you, if you came from a farm in Iowa 
and you're like, I want to be a police officer. I'm going to go to Detroit because that's who hired me. You are going to not fit in <laughs> yeah. there because there is no commonality with Detroit and a farm in Iowa. And in order for you to understand that population and the diversity of that population, you need to empathize with them. So you should be emerged in it. Completely agree. And and a part of the problem that's like tied in, in a similar vein, because what, what you're talking about here is a form of training. Yes. And I'm all for that. And I am all for my tax dollars going right to that. Yep. Because one of the things I do feel bad about in some of these videos we've seen, some of them, you know, like a show event, that's a totally different story. But there are other ones, as an example, I don't know if you remember the one that happened, I believe, also in 2020 in Georgia in a parking lot. It was shortly after Chauvin where the two cops were called for, to a guy who was drunk at the wheel and they tested him. They, I believe that's what it was. They knew he was going to have to be arrested and they went to take him into custody and everything was going professionally. They were even being very nice like, hey, listen – you know, we're, we're going to have to take you in or whatever. And he's like, oh, no, man, come on. And then all of a sudden, he gets physical with them. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know what to do on the ground. They did not have they did not have jujitsu training, right. martial arts of any form. And this guy, he was better. And so yeah. they get to the ground and they were doing everything they could. And you can hear it on the mics. You can see it on the video trying to restra restrain him. They couldn't. He goes to get away. Then they have to pull a gun. And now they have the whole like, oh my, and I actually got to find out what happened with that case. But it's like, oh, did they, they're saying like, oh, did they murder him or whatever? And I'm like, no, they were trying to do everything correctly, but they're unfucking trained. Right. But look at it in a different way. If he's trying to get away, you don't have to shoot him because you have, there's no reason. He's not an imminent threat to you. So if I'm getting beat on the ground and he gets up and runs away. I'm not shooting him. If he comes after me to kill me, I'm shooting him. There's mm. a very big difference. So your life must be in danger or someone else's for you to take a life. And anyone running away is not threatening you. Or someone else. That's an important. Fuck yeah. 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 And there's just no reason for that. If If I had... <laughs> I think for that case in particular, that's a really solid point that I that I would need to think about. The place my mind went to watching that one is you just went to calmly arrest a guy who then was willing to physically resist a cop hardcore and was in a not sober state. They knew that and then went to run from the cops. There could be a question and I'm saying – in like a reasonable doubt perspective, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it was the right call to immediately go to that. I do think everything happened fast and that's where I have some empathy here. But it's like there could be the question of like, ooh, is that person going to potentially go harm someone else now? Because – It's not imminent though. That's where the letter of the law comes mm. in. So if he's running away, he could kill somebody down the road, but it's not imminent. You can only fire – if it's imminent threat to you or someone else. Interesting. Okay. So um, I don't know if you remember, I think this was one of the cases that, that sparked everything. Remember in South Carolina, 
Yes. White officer. Yep. Um, pulls over. I don't even know if it, this man, it was a black male, but I don't think he was in a car. I think he was just on foot or something. It was like behind a fence. You see yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. The guy just starts running away and he fires and shoots him in the back. And it's like, yeah, that one was bad. There is no way that that is any semblance of correct. That one completely agree. I mean, yes. it's total bullshit. And anytime you find a victim with bullets in the back, you need to start looking real close because there's no yeah, reason. Because fair. if you're running away from me, how am I? Uh, how are you a threat to me? That's that's fair. I I think my my only continued holdout on some of them, not the one you just brought yeah. up. I remember that one vividly. Mm -hmm. I was just fucked up. But it's like if they if they do go hurt somebody, that law department's done. Well, hold on. Let me let me throw in a wrench in there. Okay. We've had this happen too. Really? So in around 2000, I started in 1998. Around 2000, the chief of police at that time comes out on the media in Kansas City and says, we will no longer participate in car chases unless it's a violent felony. So here's what happened. Everybody that was ridiculously drunk we try to pull them over. They basically said, fuck you. And they kept speeding off. We couldn't chase them. They hit somebody else and killed them. We were not at fault. We were not at fault because that was the policy of we will not chase. Wow. Now, say we did chase and they hit somebody and killed them. It's now the department's fault. You see the catch 22? So they yeah. were riddled with lawsuits. And they said, fuck it, unless it's a robbery, a homicide, or there's a kidnapped person in there, we cannot chase them. And it was devastating because we would literally see people that we knew were dangerous, but we couldn't do anything about it. And now you're, you are, you're bringing up exactly from the same exact angle what I was. And it's just... That's why I brought it up. Because yeah. people can listen to the last oh, six, seven minutes of us talking. They flipped us off. They knew we couldn't chase them. Right, right, right. So then the public knows. But the I'm saying public like knew. people yeah. listening to this right now mm -hmm. can now listen to where this little silo started six, seven minutes ago, whatever mm -hmm. it was. Yep. And they can hear where you started with this and where you ended, which is consistent. And yes. they can also hear where I started with it because right. I thought you were getting at something else. Right. And I thought... What... The bottom line is what you brought it back to is unfortunately, and I say that, unfortunately, what everything does come back to in America, not just in law enforcement, in everything. And it's what is the legal liability here? Exactly. Which is really sad. It is. Because the, the in a perfect utopian world, the question should be, what's the most correct decision with the information I have? Right. But that's not – unfortunately – and you can understand this from managing a huge business, just like right. your chief can here. Right. When you're the sheriff, right. you're not there. Right. You are managing all different types of people. Right. And so what do you have to do? You have to put in the most uniform things you can mm -hmm. that match the averages to the best of your exactly. ability. And that's what he did there. And I get that. It was a risk assessment. Uh, yes. Definitely. It was how many lawsuits have has the department been in and how many of them were as a result of a car chase? And uh, it was a risk assessment. Now, did I agree with it? No, I didn't. Because I thought not apprehending those people 
put the public more at risk than the potential for fatalities in apprehending them. Now, I didn't have the data he had, and I could be totally wrong, but that was kind of the sentiment back then of, well, what are we here for at that point? I I remember being so frustrated that I almost wanted to quit when I had a rape suspect that would not stop. He fled, and I was told I cannot pursue him. Isn't that a violent crime? Didn't he say It already happened. So they wouldn't let me chase him, and they thought... I was like, we're going to lose him. And they're like, no, we know who he is. We know who he is. We can get him later. It's not worth you potentially killing someone or him killing someone fleeing from you. I was infuriated. It was like almost like a serial rapist. And uh, I was I was furious. I was furious at it. And uh, I can't remember whether that, you know, they eventually caught him or not. But I remember thinking, what am I doing? Yeah. And that's when I. I decided to go undercover at that point. Now, you actually, right before we get to the undercover <clears throat> stuff, though, because I have so many questions. There, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to leave out the one thing I wanted to throw by you a little bit ago before mm-hmm. we got into this with Malcolm Gladwell. Because mm-hmm. you were talking about the the inability to have blindness in the system. Yes. But in that book, and since you read it, you probably remember this too, but he covered an experiment that was done – Mm-hmm. In one of the courts in New York City, I don't know if it was the Southern District. It was one, you know, they're all mm-hmm. big there. But what the experiment was was they they went into all the bail hearings mm-hmm. that judges would have, and I thought he did a beautiful job. I haven't read it in a while, but I thought he did a beautiful job explaining this t- to reserve some judgment. And talk about how there are some biases who are built in people. That <laughs> some right, but he was saying like, what this ended up revealing is that yeah, there's definitely got to be some judges that are racist. Oh yeah, and then there's others where it's like they get used to how a system works, mm-hmm. and they just you know they're here in a million cases, yeah. and they just kind of repeat things over and over again. Just like the homicide detective, it becomes repetitive. Yes. So what happened here was they would measure. Defendant being white guy, right? black guy, I think Latino guy. And if I get this a little off, just yeah. think of it this way. It was minorities versus non-minorities, <laughs> right, right? Right. And so what they found is that for the same crimes, mm-hmm. on average, the bail would be higher Absolutely. for the minorities. And so what he was saying is he's like, well, how do you fix that? Do you make it an AI? No, you fix it by not showing the person exactly. that did the crime. That's why I, I heard because your idea and it hit in my head. If I'm like, the oh my jurors God, have is. the biases, you know the judges do. And yep. that's why there's a disparity in sentencing. So why do we have so many black men incarcerated for marijuana? That's oh, the nuts. biggest bullshit ever. It's nuts. It's, it's just ridiculous. But yet, you know, you've got white collar crime that, that it's basically they're sitting in a country club. Yeah. Very often. Yeah. Yeah. It's And, and look... The who you know and who you know to represent you are two very real things in the legal system. Absolutely. You know, I, I I care a lot about like the work the Innocence Project does. Yes. And the saddest part about many of the not all of them, but many of those cases is the fact that the legal representation they had was horrible. It's not fair. It's not fair at all. You get a public defender and, you know, there's many, many books about the type of people that want to be public defenders. 
is it a stepping stone to get to something else or is it I pretty much suck as a lawyer and this is all I can get? Yeah. You know, it, it they're not getting adequate representation and the public defenders are given 50, 60 cases at a time. They literally get it 10 minutes before they're supposed to see anything. And the best they can do is ask for continuance or a plea bargain. And it's like a plea bargain. They're convincing this person to take the plea bargain, one, because it gets another case off their load. Number two, man, if I try it, we're probably going to lose and you're going to get more time. Yeah. So an innocent person is potentially taking a plea bargain when they they should never have done that in the first place. And think about how complex a courtroom is and all the different things that go into any case. And the average person doesn't understand no clue. how things work. No clue. But it's just you've got to remove the human component from trying these people and sentencing these people. And that is the only way that you're going to get equity. What, what, what do you mean by that? Don't show their race. Oh, back Don't, to exactly what yeah, you're Yeah, okay. and yeah. I'm not saying just not only for juries, but for judges as well. Yeah. It should be behind closed doors. That person, they should be able to obviously see their, you know, the evidence to for and against them and whatnot. But you can't tell me that you're going to pick 12 people and not one is going to have biases. We're human. Yeah. These people are growing up in a very isolated population. They know no different, and they think people that don't look like them might be bad or scary. And they may – the worst part – this is the worst part about it. Many of them actually don't even know it or realize they it don't. either. They don't. You know, the ones who come by it honestly, it's like, all right, that person sucks. Yep. But there are a lot mm-hmm. of people who don't actively understand that it is biologically wired into them because the only thing you can know is your environment. Exactly. If you grow up looking at people who are exactly like you from a socioeconomic standpoint, where you live, what the houses look like, whatever, and then down to race, all of it. Right. That's what you know. Exactly. If you didn't, then maybe maybe you do understand. But how many – like the jury selection process is like who's ending up on these things? Yeah. This is my other question. I've never been chosen, so I have no idea. And then I hear people that have been chosen multiple times. So how random is it, you know? How random is it? And it should be more equitable from all different populations. Like, you know, you should never see 12 white people on a jury. It needs to be more equal. Does that still – do you ever see that? Oh, absolutely. I see it all the time. I'm almost then, shocked at that in 2022. When I ask lawyers about that, their response is, well, whites are the majority of the population. And I'm like... 66 or 60%. Depending not, on the community, though. Exactly. Go to a yeah. Iowa farm and you'll never get a minority on yeah. a jury. Yeah. That's true. God, it's the world. There's so many little issues. And they all add up to big issues. They do. They That's all add the problem. up. And... You know, unfortunately, our country has a, a very long history of uh, inequality. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if average me can come up with ideas like that, there's people far smarter than me that probably have way better ideas at making this more equitable. And I can only assume that they don't want to. Or they're stopped from doing it. Perhaps. That's the other thing. Because somebody doesn't want them to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And. A lot of it comes back to 
just bullshit instead of actually like how do I want to say this? Like a lot of the reason things don't happen is because the people who may run certain things are like, no, this is just how we do it here. Mm-hmm. There's just no consideration of like what this and, – and that's the problem. We talked right. about empathy with this mm-hmm. stuff. There's none of that. It's like, no, no, this is the system. It's great. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And that – you know, I, I, I try not to be an over-idealist, but yeah, I, I, I want to see things better. So my mind doesn't work like that. My mind's like, well, if we – have a potentially better way let's explore that avenue right and if it's not then we won't do it but if we have data to say hey this could be better let's fucking do it right but this this kind of exposure idea that i have my in my mind if i've got somebody you know from Farmtown, iowa i'm gonna put them in the projects and have them right. spend a month in the projects and by disclosing all this up front i would hope that this would disenfranchise some people that are not doing law enforcement for the right reasons fair that's really that and that's i hadn't even thought about it like that but you have some good ideas thank you i i would like i've had a lot of time to think about i would like to being exposed yeah i mean you know um i've been in a lot of different environments yes uh i think you'll find my opinions uh about drugs and other things to be uh you know counterintuitive to what uh, an undercover law enforcement person would probably say if they were sitting in this and it's you know most likely because i've i've really immersed myself in all of these environments and it wasn't uh you know when you're in uniform it's us against them and right. it's that mentality and it's uh you know we're almost taught that it's a game uh, how many people can you arrest? How many people can you get off the streets? Uh, you know, it, it's a game that we have rules, they have rules, um, and it's who can win at the end of the day. But when you're undercover, you're immersed in that you are equal to everyone else around you. And you get the rare opportunity to learn what it's like to be addicted to meth, for example, or act like I am, um, to be a homeless prostitute or act like I am. You know, they, these type of things are very, very unique. Um, you know, not something I would recommend for everybody to do, but just pick a different population from you and immerse yourself in it and learn it. And I guarantee you it will change your life and it will also be the best thing you've ever done. It's funny. You're, you're not the first person who's brought up like the us versus them mentality in here. And it's not just like in law enforcement or anything, but that's just, I think the highest example because it's very interesting to me how like the older I get, the more I realize nobody ever really truly grows up. The game doesn't really change. The stakes just get way higher. And they, they like, for example, you're a kid, you're playing games and you, it's cops and robbers and you put someone in jail on the playground. You're an adult in a powerful situation. I'm talking at the highest levels right now. You're in white collar or something right. and people are trying to get you or even in violence. You're in the mafia or something. People mm-hmm. are trying to get you. In, in a way, some of the people trying to get you once you get high enough, it's the same hypocrisy. One just has a badge and the other doesn't. Exactly. You know, it's exactly. a very weird thing because, it, you know, these are entities we think about. We think about. Department of Justice, we think about mafia or right. something like that. Mm-hmm. But 
it's just an idea and there's just people who are flawed in different ways for sure mm-hmm. behind them. And sure. that can get out of control in the wrong directions, even on the side of the law. So with cops, 100%. if that's your mentality too, and if that's what's really beat into it, that's where you can run into problems because it's like, no, no, what we do, the danger is it's like, well, what we do is good no matter what versus, well, we shouldn't do some things as well, even if we think we're doing it in the name of something right. Yeah. And it's almost like you get to the point where you're justifying um, things that skirt the the line. Yes. That are in that gray area, but you're justifying it by saying, well, as law enforcement, our parameters are tighter than theirs, you know, and it's more of a us versus them. It keeps going. And then you start to justify more and more. And once you once you cross that gray line, I don't think you can go back. I really don't. Uh, you dip your toe in it and maybe you do something that's questionable, but you justify it in your head and then you do it again and you do it again and then it becomes repetitive and then it eventually explodes. Like, you know, the Derek uh, Chauvin guy. When I watched that video, the first thing that came to my mind was how calm he was. He's done this a hundred times. Yep. I know he has. I can I can just tell. They prove that. Yeah. Too. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Not, so not necessarily that same exact tactic, yeah. but they look when you go through his record, everything is like it was there. Right. You know, and then I think if I would have put myself on that person's back, he would probably be alive because I'm not as large as that officer was, but then now you see all these departments all over the place saying, hey, stop using that tactic. Hey, hey, hey. And then, you know, I remember when I was going through the academy, there was like only five or six tactics that you could use. And when none of them worked, it's like, oh, just tase them. <laughs> you know, that time. It, it's like, man, you got you got to do better. You've got to train better. You've got to do better. Um and I remember we virtually had no training on handling mentally ill people. Yeah, that's a – I've heard a lot of different arguments in, in that department yeah. and I'm kind of open to anything as far as like ideas there because I do think sometimes with very small crimes especially, cops get put in a really bad spot mm-hmm. and then you know they don't know how to handle it. Yeah, and I think um, it can escalate very quickly, and uh, there's just not enough de-escalation tactics yeah. being being taught. Um, and again, you know, a lot of I, me personally, you know, I haven't been around mentally ill people. So when I was first introduced to these people, I had no idea how to talk to them, how to handle them. Um how to de-escalate a situation like they're they're tricky they really are because it can go like that yeah and uh again you know i think i was just fortunate i could have been in any one of those situations where i was you know killed off of just not knowing how to handle a schizophrenic person and again if you haven't seen it i mean yeah i was never exposed to to it i was again this is why departments need to immerse immerse these 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 new officers into different you know uh, populations yeah it's such a good idea 
But you, I mean, we've said it a few times today. We just haven't like gone into full detail about it. You, you got into undercover. It sounds like almost right away when you went on the very force, young. No? Yeah, I was. Did you want to do that? I did. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So basically, I looked at undercover almost like the holy grail of achievements. I wanted to test myself to see if I could do it. And um, I was only in the department for 18 months when I applied to go uh, undercover. And it was, um, I was street narcotics. And I was also moonlighting in vice for prostitution. When you say moonlighting, just for people out there. Um, we would do certain stings. So you're not undercover every day like you are with narcotics. Narcotics are undercover the entire time. Yep. With Vice, it was particular stings, Craigslist stings, um, it, street street prostitution stings, just various little um, things that they do periodically to try to curtail the supply and demand, which it's never going to go away. So that's a whole other story within itself. So 18 months, I get into street narcotics and uh, it was a rude awakening. Again, you know, I was 23, 24 years old, very naive, never had I done a drug before. I had never seen a drug other than marijuana before. So it was um, until, you know, I got into law enforcement the first 18 months. And then I'm like, okay, that's what a crack rock looks like. <laughs> and, you know, that's what Coke looks like mm -hmm. and meth and all this stuff. But this was all new to me. Um, that's not something they teach you in the academy. This is what Coke looks like, you know? It, you could have literally put baking soda in front of me and told me it was Coke, and I would have been like, okay. <laughs> I had no fucking clue, right? Yeah. And uh, now I can spot it from a fucking mile away, uh, but at that time, it's like, whoa, you know? Yeah. I had no training. So when you get into street narcotics, my training was, hey, here's your new partner, Here's, you know, 300 bucks. Bye. You give you get the 300 bucks, you're supposed to come back with $300 of dope. Mm. Every day you get money, you come back with dope. So I mean, how much training was there? That was Th it. That was it. That was it. I'm even surprised I I was expecting you to say there wasn't enough, but that uh there was none. Holy shit. So my first day, this guy's like and I'm the only female, too. Right? <laughs> Yeah. And everybody else in the unit is a white male. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this isn't going to go very well. No. Like, how the fuck are these guys buying anything? So he basically is like, listen, you can wear a wire, but if you get caught, you're probably going to get killed. Then he said, you can carry a gun, but if they find it, they're going to know you're a cop because it's a Glock and not a piece of shit off the street. So they he goes, give you a piece of shit. Off he, no, he goes, make your choice. So I was like, fuck it. I had no gun and no wire the entire time Wow, that I was there. So then he says, you're going to have to come up with a persona. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, like an actor. You're going to have to come <laughs> up with a fucking persona. I was like, okay. I love how they're just like telling you this. That's like, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, get to it. <laughs> uh okay and he's like think about it and figure it out he's like you have to dress a certain way talk a certain way and act a certain way 
How did you come up with this? What way is that? Like, I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah. So we're riding around and I'm not saying anything. You know, I'm just riding with him and we pick up a CI, an informant. Confidential informant. Right. And uh, he introduces me to a CI and uh, she was cool. Cool as hell. Uh, Older, well, older, I was 24 at the time. She was probably 40. Black woman. Never been in trouble. Just wanted to get drugs off the street. So mm. she was a CI because she lived in that rough the area. The best kind of CI. She was right awesome. There. Yeah. Unfortunately, she was murdered. Oh, no. I think they found out that she was our CI eventually. But um, she she was killed after I had already left. So I really liked her. And That's I brutal. never knew her real name and she never knew mine. Like, you know, we all, we all had fake licenses. We all had fake everything. We never knew each other's identity. But she would get us in to where we needed to be. And it took me probably a good four or five months to figure out what persona I wanted to take on. Cause I had to get like a lay of the land and I needed to see like who, what, what is the typical household I'm going to the street stuff? Like, obviously I can't be black, <laughs> you know, I yeah. can't, I can't do that. So I, I need to figure out something that would allow me to blend and so I kind of stole a little bit off of my prostitution stuff. And Oh, so you had done that first? Yeah. Yeah. I was doing okay. it. Yeah. I did yeah. that first and then I did it kind of a little bit inside too while I was doing both. And then I, yeah. I did. But that's hard too. Like, oh, you, you that know, was you're not fucking just, brutal. You don't that know was, how to be a hooker. <laughs> it was actually, that's way easier than narcotics. I would believe that. All you got to do is stand there and look I, look like a homeless person, and people will pay you money for sex. You still got to. Perf- you still have to at least slightly look the part, depending yeah. on where mm-hmm. you're doing it. Obviously. And that's where I kind of got the idea. So when I was a prostitute, I would not shower for that day, and I would take this stuff that's called blackout, and it and it comes in a bottle that looks like nail polish, and it blacks out your teeth. It paints them black. So I have perfect teeth from having braces so i was like well that's a fucking tall tale sign what hooker on the street has perfect teeth so i would black out teeth to make it look like i didn't have certain teeth oh wow and it worked you can't tell no you can't tell and it either looks like that or it looks like you have meth mouth oh yeah right yeah so then i took coconut oil and i rubbed it in my hair to make it look greasy as fuck Right. So then I took my clothes and I was very, very fit at the time. Like I was doing triathlons and stuff. And I was like, there's no fucking way I can't wear anything that shows parts of my body. So I was wearing clothes that were two or three sizes too big, which Mm -hmm. you would think is counterintuitive. Like most people think, oh, prostitutes, they're wearing next to nothing. No, not street prostitutes. Those are more high class prostitutes. Yeah. So my clothes were, you know, two, three sizes too big, and I got them from Goodwill, and I made them disgusting. So I did that. And, and you I, figured all this out yourself. Well, trial and error, yeah. right? I'm yeah. trying to figure it out because, you know, most people think, oh, prostitutes are supposed to look like, you know, these really sexy lingerie things, and it's way opposite of that. Yes. So... um that worked for me. So I thought, okay, I need to step it up a little bit with with narcotics undercover because it's not a quick interaction. 
for prostitution, it was a car would pull up, we would make an arrangement, and that was it. And so, you pull out the badge and say, police? No, I never did that. They come and yes. the police come yes. in. Yes. So all you have to do is make a an agreement for a sexual act for anything of value. So it doesn't even have to be money. You could say, hey, I'm going to give you this coffee cup for a blowjob. <laughs> That's it. You're You're going to jail for that. So the interactions in narcotics were way longer. You know, you're you're making deals, you're making relationships yeah. with these people. I had to figure out something. So I have an aunt and an uncle that are mentally challenged. And I know how they talk. So what I did is I started to speak like them. And it worked. That's not easy to do, though. When you grow Holy up with it, it is. Shit. Yeah. So I know how they talk. I know how they think. Um. You know, there's no math skills. There's no ability to write. So I was mentally challenged, and they all bought it. I never got made for a cop because they looked at me like this homeless, mentally challenged person that was just a drug addict on the, uh, you know, going house to house. And it you're worked. really underselling. I I, <laughs> I understand it. Like, okay, you grew up around it, so you you right. have a good feel. That is hard. To it do. was. It was at times, and I I um, never heard that before. Yeah, I had to get creative. I mean, I'm a female and I'm white. Yeah. So I had to get creative. And all of a sudden, I was buying dope like nobody's business. And these white guys were like, what the fuck? And I'm like, that's the thing is the guys thought all I have to do is grow my hair out and grow my face out. And I'm good to go. Well, fuck, that's not that there's more to it than that. You've got to live it. And that's what I did is I I lived it. But it started to fuck with me too. How so? It's hard to turn it on and off. Well, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. When you're doing this, maybe this would help clear it up. Are you doing it during the day or during a night, almost Both. like a shift? Or could it be like you're literally living in a crack house for a week at a time? No, no. So it's it's a shift. It's like a 10, 12-hour shift. And you're going into crack houses and you're standing in line waiting to buy, and you're, um, you know, I, I, I watched other women that were drug addicts and their tics and things, so I could mimic the tics just like this, and they never, never bought it. I mean, I never got caught at all. Wow. Yeah, I was, you know, and my male counterparts had guns pulled on them, um, the dealers would force them to smoke crack to prove they weren't a cop. You never had to have that nope. happen? I never did. Really? They bought it. They bought it. So, and I, you know, I was lucky because it wasn't like, hey, I'm just going to be a mentally challenged person. It was, I have these two people in my family. I know how they speak. I know their mannerisms and I know how they act. And I would just do that. And then I added a drug addict component to it, like, you know, the ticks and the, the things like that and blacked out my teeth. And I was pretty, pretty immersed in it. To method act like that for 10, 12 hours at a time on a regular basis. Yeah. And to be in the middle, you know, the, the other thing so many of us can grasp a little bit without, and I say that lightly, like we can't know, but we can imagine how heavy it is, is like, 
when you have to do the job within the job, like, oh, oh yeah. when it comes time, you actually got to stand mm -hmm. there, hand the money, get the drugs back or in other undercover situations where mm -hmm. you got to take the gun out, stuff like that. It's like the idea that you can stay straight and stay in character when that happens that's that's where it gets to a whole nother like yeah, impressive and it was. level. So at the onset, the the biggest challenge I had was being in character. But then after I got so used to it, my biggest challenge was being normal. Oh, so you didn't really know how to turn it off? No, it was difficult. It was very difficult. I was constantly, you know, looking over my shoulders. I was afraid to be recognized because as a woman, you can only alter your appearance so much to not be permanent. You know, I wasn't going to dye my hair because then what am I going to do in my personal life? Right. Like you can't, uh, guys can grow their beards out and, you know, look dirty and homeless and stuff. It was, my appearance was more difficult for me. Um, so I had to create that mentally challenged drug addict. And then when they spoke to me, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> you know, just, you had to really live it. And, um. Did you forget to turn off that part of it sometimes? No, I didn't forget, but it's it's challenging to to do, you know, 8 to 10 to 12 hours and then to turn it off and then turn it on, turn it off. It starts to fuck with your head a little bit. And it was weird because most of the drug dealers at one point, I felt that they had sympathy for me. Like they they wouldn't hurt me. I, I was more worried about a sexual assault than I was about being killed because of that's common with the drug trade Yeah, is um, you're, you're instead of money, you're trading sex for the drugs. So that was my biggest concern. So I feel, I felt like the more that they pitied me, the more they would leave me alone. And that actually worked. I I think it also plays to your advantage playing yeah. not being all mentally there oh yeah as well yeah not to say there aren't some sick fuckers out oh there. yeah we, there are we know that there but are it lessens your chances you know that was just like that's a ballsy thing to do i i've never heard i'm sure somewhere yeah. sometimes someone's done that i in, don't know in law enforcement but i have never heard a story like that before oh well that's good i guess um, yeah but you know i just grabbed it out of my own experiences because i i was really like I said, it took me four, maybe five months to figure out what the fuck am I going to do? You know, I are you doing anything during that time? Like are I'm you... training. Yeah, they're but like but... I'm riding along with these jackasses that are supposed to be, you know, teaching me the ropes, but they're just like stay in the car, stay in the right. car. You know, You're not going okay. No, got it. so got I it. use that time to just observe. Got it. You know what? What are the other women dressed like? What do they look like? What do they act like? And uh, it's. It's not easy to act like an addict. That's the hard part. The mentally challenged part was easier for me because I'd been around it so much. But the drug addict part, the tics, um, the way their eyes look when they're under the influence. Yeah. Um, well, that's another thing. You can't fake pupil dilation. So thank God most drug dealers are morons and they're not looking for that. So you just do the, the tics and stuff and along with the language and the dress and it just kind of worked i i'm fortunate i got lucky i could have you know anybody that could see through it would have easily made me and that's what you're talking about when you're talking about turning on turning off mm -hmm. repeatedly when you turn on quote unquote mm -hmm. 
life and death situation every single time you step out there. It it's fucks like, with your head. Yeah. 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 It's, it's 100%. like you can't have an off day. You can't be like, all right, I'm not feeling that great today. All right. Well, if we don't get through it, no problem. It's sure. like, well, I might be dead. Yeah. It's heavy. There's no off day. Yeah. Now, when you were doing that, though, was that completely full time or were you still doing other yeah. police work? No, narcotics was full time. How many years did you do this for? Oh, boy. Um, I think it was two. That's a while. You're not kidding. You know what it felt like? 32. I'll bet. It felt like 32. Um, and the most fucked up thing was, is that I actually took a pay cut to do it, and which is counterintuitive because you think, well, the hazard pay. So we got hazard pay, but they took the shift differential from us, <laughs> even though you're because you you get shift differential for working nights and midnights and stuff. And I'm like, wait, I'm still working nights. They're like, yeah, but you start during the day. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, okay. So, you know, it got, it got to the point where I had like a come to Jesus moment with myself. And I'm like, this is where kind of my mentality on, I was naive enough when I got into it thinking mm. I'm going to make a difference. Stupid girl, stupid, <laughs> stupid girl. You're not going to make a difference. What you're, what you are is maybe making another casualty in the drug trade. So when I got to know these people and infiltrate the lifestyle, um, I started to have empathy for them. That was, you, yeah. you took my next question. So let's go right to that. I was wondering if like even yeah. what I was going to ask but to be even a little more specific though is even some of the people that, that you would characterize as like kind of the worst in that end of it. Being around them every day, of course, seeing a lot of bad that they do constantly, mm -hmm. but like you're learning intuitively or maybe sometimes personally based on having conversations with people exactly kind of where people are coming from or how they got into this and stuff like that. Is there a part of you going, damn, like if other things had happened in this person's life, they wouldn't be this person? Actually, I turned it. If I was in this person's shoes, I would also be selling drugs. Because when you take opportunity and education away from someone, they're going to figure out how to survive. And this is a supply and demand issue. He is, you know, probably no different of an entrepreneur than I am. Mm. He, he saw the demand. He figured out where the supply was and he's selling it. And it's a hierarchy very similar to probably – what he sees society as. So he sees as in, in society as he is the bottom of the pool because he's poor, he's black, and he has no education. Uh, but when in the drug dealing world, he's in the, he's in the top of the hierarchy. He's the dealer, not the user. So they typically look down. Dealers never use their own shit. Yeah, all the good ones. Yeah, the good ones the don't good use their own are... shit interesting word but right you know, what, you I mean. know what I mean. yeah because they know that once you start using you're off your game and then you just become another crackhead they pick the if i'm understanding what you're saying and i would agree with it if this is right but like they pick the playing field that they're able to work the class structure on like where they can work mm -hmm. be at the top end of the world and mm -hmm. since they view that as really the only option they're like, well, that's the one we're going to play in, and that's where we can be top dog. Right. 
And, you know, humans will figure out how to survive. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to have empathy for them, that was my entire thought process was, well, wait a minute. If I wasn't educated, if I didn't have the opportunities that I have now and I wasn't white, I would fucking be selling drugs, too. Yeah. To survive, to feed my family and myself or whatever they're doing. Um, and it's it's violent and it has, um, you know, a, not a long longevity for, for that type of business, but it's a chance that they take because they see no other option. Right. Yeah. I, I, my buddy Josh, who was actually on this podcast earlier on, episode 54, is one of my closest friends from college. Just awesome dude who I've learned a lot from mm-hmm. in, in my life. But he... He was a rare guy in a lot of different ways. He is from the projects in the Bronx. Yeah. But what he was gifted with is he had both of his parents together and they were incredible parents. His mom is literally like the teacher at the school right wow. there. Wow. And so he, he had in that way, he had a very solid environment, yeah. which he doesn't discount at all. But he was also like special, like he was intelligent. And so he happened to get into one of those programs because of just being able to do some things that other people couldn't that then matriculated him on a different pathway starting especially at like – I want to say it was like age 11 started to split. And that led to all kinds of opportunities Mm -hmm. that he to his credit knocked all of them out of the park and he deserves all the credit in the world for that. But he told me a story one time and I've told it before on this podcast at least once, but it, it's it it affected me a lot in how I think about where the fork in the road happens mm-hmm. for when it comes to like environment and what people do. But he was telling me about one of his close friends when they were kids growing up in the same neighborhood and he was not on the track that Josh was. Mm-hmm. And so at some point when Josh got to high school this program then let him go into a high school program where during the week he went to school in suburbia Mm -hmm. and lived out there and then would come home, I think on the weekends, but I think it was like when he first went out there, like the first six months you had to be out there like the whole time, like not even home on the weekends. So what I believe it was, if I'm remembering correctly, I always remember this part a little differently, but the story remains the same. He comes home for the first time in a while, mm-hmm. whatever it was. And when he gets onto a street after getting off the subway, he sees his buddy and his buddy's on the corner. And they're both like 14, 15 years old. They're right. young. And I give his friend so much credit in the story, but it's also very sad. His friend sees him and his expression immediately changes to a combination of happy to see you, but what the fuck are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And he walks up to Josh and he goes, hey, what's up, brother? How you doing? Like, what's going on? You doing well out there? Good. Like, you're representing all of us. Keep doing your thing. Right. And he takes him and walks him across the street and says, now don't ever walk on that side of the street again mm-hmm. and keep doing what you're doing. Don't come back. Mm-hmm. And like they went their separate ways and they looked at each other and there was an understanding there. Right. And I'm like. That's a perfect example. of One person has an opportunity that the other one didn't have. Exactly. And I, I give his friend oh, 100%. a ton of credit. Yes. And so does he. Because he could have tried to suck him in yeah. or, you know, whatever. There's a multitude of things. 
it's a powerful story for me, and I think it can be for a lot. That's oh, why huge. I like telling it because it's, it, it's for a lot of people. But that environment, 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 I hit on it over and over again, and it's like the smallest little things can change it. So the fact that you could see that, oh yeah, seeing awful shit too, like you know, they, they're, yeah. they're drugging people <clears throat> up. I mean, this is a bad. It is. It's bad. You know, it's bad, and you know, it's. I looked at it though, and to be quite honest, there's not a lot of difference between the drug trade and the sex trade. And mm. often the two commingle. Um, but you're you have a supply and demand issue. And uh again, I think it's an opportunity type thing. Perhaps, you know, a fourteen year old girl gets pregnant. Um maybe that takes her life off the wrong rails. She needs money. She's going to start selling her body for it. And it, she's so disgusted by it that she starts to take drugs yeah. to numb that. Well, then she becomes a drug addict. You see, it's just perpetual. It just keeps going and going and going. And uh, I just think the way our society is treating both drugs and the sex trade are moronic. They're, they're not helping uh, at all, you're never, ever going to get rid of the supply and demand for drugs or sex. So why not regulate it? Mm. Yeah. No, it's it's a conversation we've had on this podcast with different people. Oh, have you? Okay. A lot. Yeah. So, it's it's a great most people, conversation. You know, I, most cops would probably say, what the fuck is she talking about? That's horrible. Um, but I've been in it. So I've seen it up close and personal. And I can tell you that it's the reason that I got out. It's why am I, why am I putting my life at risk for forty thousand dollars a year, and the minute I buy three hundred dollars of crack, three million more is on the street. Yeah. It's it's not going to make a difference, and we're just we're tackling this all the wrong way. If you if you give these people opportunity and an alternative, you could potentially turn around a lot of lives. You also can see it. That's the biggest argument in its favor for me is like would you rather have something right in front of you that you have some control over or would you rather keep chasing the same ghost over and over again just like a cloud and yeah. a new one appears and i felt like i was on a hamster wheel exactly i literally was showing up to work every day to do the same shit and make no difference and it kept getting more and more dangerous and i was like what the fuck am i doing and there you know there are I won't even say probably. There are a lot of cops or ex-cops like you who grow disillusioned or grew disillusioned mm -hmm. with the job because they thought about this. And oh, I appreciate absolutely. that they do because they're not just doing the job. You know, there's certain industries, yeah, you can just kind of do the job in, right? You get it done or you don't. But when you're talking about humanity and like people's lives and the well-being of communities, mm -hmm. well, you want to leave something better than when you found it. And what you don't want to do is try to fix a problem by doing something that causes another problem. Mm -hmm. And it look, I, I could sit here as an armchair quarterback and say that's easy. It, it's hard. Mm -hmm. But it does feel like sometimes something like what you were doing that's been around since the 1930s. Yeah. What's really changed? Not much. You know, and to your point, there's always going to be some of it. So if you if you regulated it. That's where I, I think there are some great arguments. You know, I'm, oh, I'm always going to play, I'm going to play devil's advocate with these because they're not easy 
answers. They're mm-hmm. very difficult questions. But when we talk about some of the legalization ideas, it's like we need to be open to that. Absolutely. Right? And I mean, you know, there's several states that are legal. And then there's several states that are medical, like marijuana is legal. But what I would propose is basically all organic type drugs be legal. What, what do you mean by that specifically? Well, like methamphetamine is not organic. It's um, right. it's it's made from a multitude of disgusting things that you wouldn't want to put in your body. So obviously there's going to be people that do that and whatever. But um, cocaine, marijuana, uh, you know, these pills and stuff. And what people tell me is, oh, my God, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. Well, hundreds of thousands are already dying. Right. If you legalize it and regulate it, then, you know, I kind of view it as survival of the fittest. If you're dumb enough to do this, it's survival of the fittest. But I don't know a single case where marijuana has killed anybody. That one, I, I don't, marijuana never understand it. is its own category <clears throat> for me. Yeah. It blows my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, like, <laughs> I don't have kids, so I, I, I can't truly think about at all how I'd approach some of this stuff yet again, like haven't been there. So right. what are you going to do? My thought has been for years though, like where I play the hypothetical in my head, I'm like, if I have a 16 or 17 year old who just started driving, mm-hmm. I mean, ideally I don't want them doing anything, but you know, they're a kid, like they're going to do something. Don't so do it while you're driving. Number one, keys go somewhere else. You're not in trouble right. for that. Yeah. That's number one. Yeah. Then I actually get to the, well, if I had my druthers, not involving driving a car. That is mm-hmm. just easy. Right. Keys, put it away. But forget the car for a second. Just like in general. If I have no control over where they are and what they're doing, would I rather them drink their face off or smoke a joint? It's not even oh, close not in even my close. mind. Not I'm not like, go rip a J. Like, yeah. it's the easiest Absolutely. one ever. Absolutely. You know? So much can go wrong. I mean, and you I don't feel there. like shit the next day. No, you don't. That's yeah. the other thing. It's like, so why... Why is it like that? And then you look at it and you're like, oh, it's money. And that's, that's all it is. That's what it was. It's money, but it's coming around and it yeah. and it will eventually, uh, you know, be available to the masses. It's just a matter of time at this point. And, you know, you've got the, the Bible beaters in the South that are still hanging on, you know, um, but I think it eventually it Meanwhile, will. Meanwhile, Reverend, Reverend Al's smoking yeah. a joint out Exactly. Back, but, exactly. Okay. But it's also, you know, to put a little nuance into it as well. It depends on what the use cases of the drugs are too. Like obviously something like cocaine, generally people are just using that to go party or something. But you think about with regulation, you think about like opioids mm-hmm. and you see what, mm-hmm. you know, you have the street opioids. Yep. But then you have the legalized racket opioids, which hopefully we're, we're finally fixing now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you see what the Sacklers did to this, oh, yeah. this country. I mean, Absolutely. it's just, yep. that was legalized. Paulo Escobar shit. Oh, absolutely. So there's really no difference between the Sacklers and Pablo Escobar. I agree. One bought off Congress. The other one just did whatever the fuck he wanted to do. So um, in my opinion, they're both cartels. 100% agree. 100%. They're both cartels. And, um, you know, this country's bought and paid for. And these pharmaceutical companies will continue to lobby them and make sure that their drugs are approved and disseminated to the masses. Yeah, I think I think people are finally starting to have some self-awareness on that just through the different things we've seen in society over the last couple of years because, you know, 
just look at media and remember, and I say this actually in their defense a little bit, they got to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. How do they pay the bills? They pay the bills with advertisers. Yep. When it's the slippery slope you talked about with something else, it's another example. It's like once you start taking it, mm-hmm. then you take more and more and more. Now you hire people, you grow bigger, you have more on the line, and now suddenly, you know, big advertisers come to you and say, "Ooh." See, I think it's a cop out though, because why? Why couldn't you go the Netflix model? Fuck advertisers, take money from people that want to watch your content. I don't disagree at all. I'm yeah. saying with the tradition, I don't yeah. disagree at all. I'm saying I'm looking at how it got here. Yeah. Right. Oh, so absolutely. Netflix, as Netflix feels old. And yeah. as a company, I guess it was around in like 06, but like the Netflix we know with streaming yeah. was like 2013. Oh, yeah. That's not that old. No. So I'm talking about over all the over the past nine yeah. decades yeah. with all these different companies. It's padding pockets. Yeah. Right. And now mm-hmm. you're always at the point where I agree with you. That could easily be the answer. But 100%. then then these companies are like, but that's new. How do we? What if well, it doesn't work? So you stay one step ahead of them too and you put term limits in Congress. Oh, this for life you. shit is bullshit. Yes, I agree. Oh this is bullshit. These people are going in there poor as fuck and coming out rich as shit, and it shouldn't be. It's a public service. You should have a, t- a term limit on it. I've never said this idea before, but I want to run this by you. Yeah. And it's some of it I'm like, I could tinker with a little bit, mm-hmm. but here's the general idea. In the federal government, mm-hmm. you have the three... Besides the judiciary, I'm talking about in the executive and legislative branch. Mm-hmm. You have Congress, mm-hmm. Senate, and the presidency. Right. My rule would be that you have a maximum amount you could serve in each. Right. So let's keep it simple for a second. Let's say it's eight years in each. And mm-hmm. whether that's two four-year terms, ideally that's what it would be because mm-hmm. I would want a minimal number of elections for you. Meaning, mm-hmm. you know, people are always just – politicking for the next election Mm -hmm. so i'd want to minimize that i couldn't Mm -hmm. perfect it but minimize it and i'd say once you do eight in each you're done so the maximum anyone could ever serve is if a president two-term president had come through congress and the senate so they would the maximum would be 24 years oh my god i think that's too long Oh, I, I do too. Fuck. I do too. I but, was thinking four. But there's been 46, 47, yeah, 46 presidents, right? Yeah, 46. 46. in the history yep. of this country. Yep. So you might get one outlier once in a while who's actually mm-hmm. done eight years in both. Right. But I'm looking at it from a feasibility of actually having time to get something done, which is a fair point. And then what would be the worst case scenario? That'd be the worst case scenario because that actually right there, the three different ones, 24 years, is way better than someone who's 24 years in the House or 24 years in the Senate in yeah. one place, right? Mm-hmm. Like it may not be perfect, <clears throat> but it's it, it still incentivizes enough people to want to do the job, I guess, which is a whole nother conversation. Yeah, but what but, about adding another component to it? Why do we always have rich people that yeah. are in politics? There needs to be some equality in terms of why why do I have to buy advertising if I'm running against, say, Joe Biden, well, he's got multiple millions of dollars. I'm going to be able to run one commercial a month and he can run it every 10 minutes. So there needs to be some equality there uh, to get the average Joe, the average person, because these guys are so far removed. They don't even know how much a gallon of milk is. You're saying take the money out of politics. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Uh, 100%. That would be the easiest answer ever. And prohibit any 
receiving of anything from lobbyists or companies or third parties. I wish we could live in a world where that could exist. And I think technically, like, we should. Mm-hmm. But what does that require? Honesty. And there is none. <laughs> I'm going to go even simple. I, fair and yeah. correct. Uh-huh. But what else does it require? It's going to be obvious when I say it, but that's kind of a rhetorical. Transparency? Part of it. What, I, what I'm getting at is you have to have people create the laws to do it. Right. And, and they're not going to fire themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like, to me. You'll never hear these guys saying term limits, term limits. No, because they're putting themselves out of a job. But what other job do you know where you can vote on your own raise <laughs> or your own health care? They have government health care, but they'll prevent the rest of the population from having it. Yeah. How fair is that? It's ridiculous. It is. It's my favorite is when they drop the word. I love being a public servant. Yeah. Yeah. You're a servant. How are you a servant? Give me a fucking break. A multimillionaire servant. Yeah. Uh, My favorite people are the ones who like go in there when they're like 28 with nothing, never had a job. Mm -hmm. And actually maybe they're from means, but they really have no money. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, they're 60 and now they're worth $20 million. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. That so we know of. When too. AOC got uh, elected, I was shocked and kind of happy because I was like, this chick's a server. Like, she, you can't get more average New Yorker than, than her. On right? paper. Right, yeah. on paper. Even if you don't agree with her politics, it was almost like, hooray for the average person. She's not a millionaire. She didn't buy her way in. That is that is actually all true. She beat like Joe Crowley too, oh, yeah. who had been there yeah. for like thirty years or something. That was like in my lifetime, anyway, that I can remember. That was one of the only times where, and I don't even pay attention to her politics, but whether you agree with it or not, you're like, man, finally an average right. Joe got in. And I remember when she won, and I was thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. And this is when I really was starting to look at this. At I was starting to become politically very. I don't know the term, like, or disillusioned, right? And I was starting to look at the psychology of these people. And very quickly, I'm like, oh, she's going to be, like, she represents all the things you just said, but she clearly has whatever that thing is that all these people who want that Mm -hmm. job have. And she's going to be the same thing in that example I just gave of the person. Actually, I think she did get in at 28, which is funny. But gets in at Talk to me when she's 60. Yeah. Watch, watch what happens if she hasn't been voted out by them. But, you know, she has great political capital, so I'd bet on her staying in there. And they just yeah. want the job forever. And it's like – And that shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And when you look at it, these people all work together. Mm-hmm. They think it's funny. Yeah. They're like, look at everyone else. Uh-huh. Look at them fighting over this right. stuff we tell them to fight over. Meanwhile, they're getting drinks at the Capitol Club Yes, they together. are. It's a joke. It is a joke. But, you know, to your point, it's like the average American is uh, the target, not the not the representation. No. Have you ever seen that? Uh, the, there's several TikTok videos about, you know, uh, I think Jay Leno probably was, was one of the one that started it. He, he goes on the street and he's like, how many states in America? Oh, yeah. And it's like it, it, it's just a horrible example of dumb Americans. Howard Stern and, did that. Yeah, he does it too. And there's several guys on on TikTok and it's crazy. Oh, man. Like I'll watch it and I will immediately lose all faith in humanity. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder. I'm like, how many of them are acting? But some no, of them, some of them aren't. Oh, yeah, they're like, not. 
There's some that it's like, all right, it seems that way. There's others. Like I've seen some guy recently going in actually like in Times Square. Yes, that's the one I was watching. Okay. He's kind of a younger, good looking, yep. dark hair guy. They're not acting. No, they're not acting. And he's like, who's the president? And they're like, um, um, and I'm like, holy fuck. And no matter what answer they say, he goes, correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, that's correct. And, and they'll be like, really? They'll Yo. be like, really? I'm so smart, man. Yeah, it's so funny. And I'll finish watching uh, that video and I'll go, I don't know whether to laugh or fucking cry. Uh, I agree. There was one I saw recently where one of them was, where's the Queen of England from? Oh my God, I saw that. And she's like, um, um, I don't, the Queen of England. And he's, he's like, like, just yeah. guess, just guess. What did she say? I think she said like uh, Idaho or something. Idaho. Yeah. She said Idaho or Iowa or something like that. It was something crazy. I don't know if that's what it was. I was like, holy fuck. (sighs) Oh, and then where's the United States Capitol? I don't know if you saw that one. They're like, "Uh, Miami. (laughs) And I was like, holy fuck. I would have said yes. Yes. You're right. He did. He goes, yes. (laughs) Yes. No, but I would have been serious. I would have been like, you know what? That that actually is the Capitol. You're right. If not, it should be. (laughs) Yeah, it should be. Oh, my God. But you're right. Like when I see those, those are the videos where I'm like, if all these corrupt people were sitting in a room together trying to like justify what they do, show them that video and they'll be like, see, we're not wrong. We got to lead these sheep. (laughs) See, we got to lead them because they're dumb as shit. We got to lead them. Yeah. Uh, Well, you've been doing a lot of leading (laughs) in your life. Not the transition at there, but yeah, you a lot of leading. You're somebody. This this is. I I, I love the people who just build something, you know. And they they, you got into this as you said very early on in this podcast. Yeah, it was simply scratching an itch of like, oh my god, no one really does deal with Mm -hmm. this, and you wanted to do it as a side hustle. But by 2005, you're like, I need to make this a full time thing. So yeah. were you in because you came up with the idea, I guess, in Missouri? Yes. Is that where you started then? Kansas City, yeah. Only for like, let me see. I started November of 2005 and I left Missouri in May of 2006. What made you want to go to Tampa? Fucking, I was, I went to high school there and I absolutely hated the Midwest. Mm. Hated it. Um, it was fun for the job, but every other part of it, I was like, God, this is horrible. I've never been. Yeah, I, you're not yeah. missing much. <laughs> you're, you're not missing much. Um, the highlight of, of the week is cow tipping and, uh, you know, farming and, you know, good old corn stuff. And it just wasn't for me. I went to high school in Florida. I, you know, I spent most of the time, I feel like, in Florida. So, and ironically, that's a state everyone goes to to die. So it was among other things. Among yeah. other things. So it it was like, you know what? I'm going back to Florida. <laughs> I'm like, fuck this. Quit my job and left. Well, how quick did you realize when you started even just doing it on the side? How quick did you realize, oh, this also this expertise is not simply like murders or found deaths. It can be things like hoarders and mold removal and stuff like that. That was also something that uh, was like a light bulb moment. So mm-hmm. I started just doing the crime scene stuff and it was, you know, um, sporadic. It was kind of, you know, here and there. I would do it on my nights or weekends or, you know, time off. Um, and can, I, by the way, can you tell people what that comprises of exactly? Which just part? Like the, let's start with the crime scenes. So when oh. you're saying clean up a crime scene, obviously everyone's mind goes to, okay, there's a lot of blood, you clean it up. But yeah. like, what's the full? So homicides, suicides, or unattended deaths. 
is basically or accidents as well, whether it's a car accident or I was in my garage cutting some wood and my fingers got cut off with it, you know, that type of thing. So it originally just started to be kind of a side hustle. I went to the department and I said, hey, I want to start this business. They're like, well, okay, just don't do it in the city. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like it was a stupid request, right? So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I start doing it and it's kind of sporadic here and there. And then, you know, uh, four or five months later, they're like, hey, we changed our mind. Um, you either need to quit your business or quit this job. And I was like, peace out, motherfuckers. <laughs> and I turned in my shit and I quit. I literally didn't even think twice about it. Because you could already kind of see like. Well, I couldn't. It was the early at that point. So I was like, uh, I need to take a chance on myself. Mm. So I was like, fuck it. And then I was like, wait, why am I staying here if I hate it? So I literally rented my house out, packed my shit up, and drove to Florida. So, And that's the thing. You go to a place like you'd gone to high school there, but you were starting the business yeah, from scratch from there. from scratch. So I stayed with a friend of mine that I knew from high school who was completely gracious enough to let me stay there while I was getting you know, on my feet. And um, I got a job in addition to my business because I needed to make ends meet while I'm, you know, all my off time, I'm marketing, marketing, you know, printing my own business cards, a shitty little perforation on the bottom. You know, I had no money. So um, it was very uh, humble beginnings, needless to say. It was a lot of sleepless nights. As most good businesses that are built are yeah. that's what you that's why so few people are able to do it because yeah. you, you gotta you gotta oh, yeah. persevere it's huge sacrifice but you had said this very early in the podcast where, where i was asking you about the whole like lack of referral system with yeah. the cops and everything so that means that when you were building this it's not like you were going and making friends with the local police departments or something not like at how all. what were you doing early on in like 06 to I was going door to door at apartment complexes, funeral homes, hotels. Um so my my thought process on it was it'll take me fucking 20 years to go door to door residentially and I can't afford to do direct mail or anything. So I'm going to go to places that have the masses, hotels, right. apartment complexes, and, you know, uh, 1,000, 2,000 people under one roof, essentially. So that's kind of where I got started. And so with hotels, I would imagine, okay, there's the occasional murder, but they're also, you know, people are staying in there all the time. Someone dies unexpectedly. Oh, all the time. All the time. Shit. A lot of shit happens in hotels. And most people think it's just, you know, the pay-by-the-hour type hotel. Um, and it's not, it's every, you know, we've done five star hotels in Miami and we've done $49 a night hotels in Tampa. So it, it runs the gamut. Whoa. All right. I, I do have a lot of questions about this. We, so I have you here like all day cause you're flying out tonight. Yeah. So we have time. I haven't had to do this before, but lawnmowers just started about three minutes ago outside. <laughs> so for everyone listening, what I'm going to do is I'm going to shut this down for the next 15 minutes. You're not going to hear that, and we'll come right back. I just want to make sure that's done so yeah. the recording's not messed up, but we'll be right back. Right on. All right, we're back. Sorry for that little interlude, but once in a while, it, it feels like every time I'm here with someone on a Friday, like that cues up, and then you can hear the the, the Maybe you should start doing it on Thursdays. I know, but a lot of people <laughs> – I love Friday recordings. Yeah, you, everyone's Friday's in a good fun. mood. Yeah, you know? yeah. Thank God so, it's Friday, right? Yeah, it's it, it's not a bad problem to have. Usually they've been quicker like this year when it happens. But anyway, I digress. So the last thing we were talking about was 
the fact that a lot of stuff came through hotels. And yeah. you were talking about doesn't matter what kind of hotel, there's all kinds of shit you see. Yeah. And so that's that's a good business relationship to have. But like it, it makes me think about your people you have working for you too. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about <laughs> law enforcement. Oh boy. They, these people are special. Well, it depends. Yeah. Well, you and I were talking about the other thing too. Yeah. I wasn't even getting at mm-hmm. that. But I'm saying like you were you were talking about law enforcement compartmentalizing all yeah. this stuff and it's kind of a professional thing. But in a business, I mean, you're hiring all different types of people. Correct. You're hiring a lot. There's turnover. Yep. And you throw them into a job and suddenly they got to go see some of the most horrific shit ever. Like, Correct. do you have a lot of people deal with severe issues from doing this? You know, surprisingly, no. And I think it's because we usually choose people that have been around this in some way or another. For oh. example, a fireman, uh, somebody that's worked in the funeral home, um, maybe somebody that's a nurse, uh, basically people that have been exposed in some way or another. But it's crazy because everyone asked me that, like, man, I bet your attrition is due to kind of it being mentally heavy. And to my knowledge, I don't think we've ever lost anybody because of that. We lose people because it's so physically demanding. It's difficult work physically. You're lifting up beds and couches and furniture wearing a Tyvek suit and a respirator. In Florida. In In Florida. And it's 140 degrees in an attic. And wearing a respirator is very similar to breathing out of a straw. That's what it feels like. You don't get full inhale or exhale. I'm just trying to picture this right now. Is the respirator the like meth lab gas mask thing? Correct. Okay. So your, your breathing is, you know, inhibited. So you, it's, it's more difficult. You really have to pace yourself. So an average, say, eight-hour job feels like a 16-hour job because your, mm. your lungs had to work twice as hard. Wow. Now, when you do one of these scenes, though, is it totally dependent on the complexity of the scene as far as, like, how many people have to go yeah. out there? Yeah. So every job it's minimum is of just two. different. Always minimum of two. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. Because, you know, and I've done jobs by myself out of just pure necessity and it's both frustrating uh and difficult at the same time because it you know i remember i did one three months ago three or four months ago we were slammed and i'm not even in the field anymore and they're like uh we have a decomp can you go do it i'm like a decomp uh, unattended death like somebody died and decomposed I'm like, yeah, sure. So I get there. And of course it happens on a king size bed. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Lifting up a king size bed by myself. Like it's maneuvering it, right? I look like a monkey fucking a football. So I was like, <laughs> this is not funny right here at all. And so oh, um, that's a good one. Yeah, you start getting frustrated. And obviously the job takes twice as long because you're by yourself. And, <clears throat> you know, so you got you to gotta do what you got to do to get it done. But it's not always pretty. And, Stuff like that infuriates or um, you know, it just exhausts the, the, the employees. And that's why their longevity is probably six to 12 months on average. Wow, that's crazy turnover. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's not McDonald's turnover. No. Their turnover is way higher. But it we do have, yeah, pretty high turnover. Yeah, because I, I guess I'm thinking of it like, no disrespect to McDonald's workers, but <laughs> – you can kind of <clears throat> plug and play in that. You can yeah. come in and know your way around in yeah. two seconds. This is a 
specialized job. Like you, you gotta be trained. You gotta Mm -hmm. understand what to do. And like, here's a question when you're doing some of these scenes, I mean, well, I'm most of them. It's like, you have blood seeped into everything. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about cleaning, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you're not Jesus Christ. I assume you're still leaving stuff that has stains and, and no. shit on it. So there's actually, they call it crime scene cleaning. It's actually, it should be called probably crime scene construction or deconstruction because we do a ton of demo. Oh, really? Removing floors, walls, uh, seal plates, door frames, doors. Taking apart beds. This is expensive, though. Oh, yeah. It's expensive. I mean, it's not easy work. Does insurance cover that at it all? It does. It covers everything. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. that totally changes the game. I never thought about this. Yeah, so it's under the same clause as like a flood or a fire. Or, you know, it's considered accidental damage Well, that's to your good. Yeah, for the homeowner, it's great. Yeah. Because then, you know, they're not out all this money. I would have never asked that question if I knew that because I figured, you know, if insurance is covering it and it's like redo, yeah, you should do everything. Yeah. I was just thinking about it from like a, you know, I, I've seen for, for people, by the way, who haven't seen your content online, yeah. which we're going to talk about that and mm-hmm. what you do with the business. They're really amazing stuff. But especially on YouTube, when you watch your long form videos in particularly where you yeah. get to see the full scene. Like oh, yeah. When you have a good 10, 20 or even 30 minute video taking people through like you and I were watching one today, for example, with a with a decomposed body where right. it was a hoarder. Right. And you see everything, everything. that's got to be fixed in a place like this. It's basically – it's almost like I'd be like, all right, bring in the blowtorch. Just, yeah. Like let's let's build a new house. And it, a lot it's of a times lot. We, we recommend that and they are insistent upon keeping it and re- rehabilitating it. So sometimes that's the better way to go, especially when we're doing mobile homes. Um, we mm. have one video. I can't remember the the name of it. Um, <clears throat> it was in the last 12 months and it was a woman that had like 50 cats in her house and they pissed everywhere and the urine ruined all the way through the subfloor in the smell. Yeah, it was a bad cat hoarder. When cats take over? It could be. It's in a trailer, mobile home. I don't know. Let's see. And by the way, I'm going to make this distinction right now. When I go to put a video in the corner as we're recording this live, I'm going to tell people the name of the video. And if you hear it skip to us being back afterwards, that's because I literally can't put it in the corner because of the content, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Your content it has graphic to yes, it. So you know, we don't want to get demonetized <laughs> with something quickly. But what I'll do is I will put the links to any videos we use in the description so you guys can check that out. And I would highly recommend you do. I'm going to click this one right now. It's called When When Cats Take Over. You tell me if this is the one you're looking for. It's a little. <laughs> That's the game plan. Wow. <clears throat> All right. So you get the idea. There. Yeah. So this, this is a really. That's a mild one in comparison to. Oh, I'll bet. Oh, yeah. 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 When, like, again, the one you and I were watching, it's literally like, oh, there's the, like, they took the body out because it was yes. a decomp. Yeah. But. I forget the name of that video. If I, I find think it's it. Crunchy Wig. That might that sounds. Familiar I think it's Crunchy. That's one of my favorite ones. It was like she had a um, milk from 1997. Oh yeah, and the eggs, eggs from 2013. 13, right. And this exactly. is like in 2020 or 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a woman who died and wasn't found for months. She was a hoarder. 
her house. Among other things. Among yeah. other things. Looked a mess. She's uh-huh. obviously had some mental problems. And so you they remove the body, mm-hmm. but they leave behind the pieces of it that yeah. didn't come with it at that point. Right. So you're like, they're like picking up. What Was that a wig? We thought initially that it was her scalp. And then we realized when we peeled it off of the bed. Peeled it off the Along bed. with the skin from her neck. That uh, it was a wig. At least that's what we're telling ourselves. And there was... There was maggot larva nest inside there. And I think, you know, what is that? Uh, ASMR? Is that what it's called? When, you, <laughs> <laughs> when you're crunching the wig? I mean... Is that a thing? Yeah. They crunch wigs? No. They... they oh, oh, I see what yeah, you're saying. They, you, you, like yeah, right, ASMR, right, they, right, they right. enjoy yeah. the sound of it. Yeah. My staff was obsessed with crunching the wig that's why we called it crunchy wig i don't think we got to that part of the video yeah wait, oh my god yeah remember when she was going oh remember she kept doing that and it made that sound yeah yeah that's I know the they were si- liking it oh yeah <laughs> yeah a lot a of morbid. asmr people that love that sound apparently i crunching wig i guess so hmm. yeah what do you know so th- this is this <clears throat> is exactly what we've been trying to get to all day as far as like <laughs> what, what puts you beyond just like building an amazing business like you yeah. did for a long time before a camera ever rolled, right. which you deserve a ton of credit for. I, I think you said this, but you started franchising in 2016, so Correct. 11 years in. We started uh, doing social media in 2019. Right. Yeah. So you were, this was at that point, I think you were telling me this part in the car, but in the 2010s, it was a lot of Google ads and stuff at that point. Oh, yeah. For growing business? Yeah. Okay. So you grow this huge business. You had locations in a bunch of states by mm-hmm. 2019. Yep. Not like today, but right. like still yeah. a lot. Yeah. And then in 2019, you make the decision for a job as graphic as this, I might mm-hmm. add, to start rolling camera, have a videographer and a media team and capture what you do. What... What made you want to do that other than, well, social media is big. No, not at all. So there was two things that were the catalyst for it. Number one, you said it already. Nobody knows that it's that the service exists. So it was an awareness thing. Right. The second thing was we had been getting approached by L.A. producers to do a reality show. And they kept getting us under contract, filming a sizzle. And then getting told, oh, this is pretty graphic. I don't think we can find sponsors for it, right? This was before Netflix. I think this was back in 2012. We got our first uh, contract for a production company. How did you get in front of people like that initially? We didn't. They found us. I didn't even know that thing existed. Yeah, but how did they? On the internet, I guess. Creative producing. Okay. I guess. So, you know. So these guys come and they say, hey, I'm a producer, which apparently a lot of people can call themselves a producer and not really. That is true. Yeah. Know anything. There's some good ones, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's absolutely some good ones. But me being a lay person, not in that industry, I'm like, oh, OK. You know, I don't know who the <laughs> fuck you are. You know, so um, <clears throat> let me film a sizzle. I want to sell it. And, you know, this and this and that. OK, fine. So they, they keep... And everybody wanted a different angle. One of them wanted the crime scene. One of them wanted the hoarding. Mm. Uh, one of them wanted um, just the personalities of the techs and kind of blur out the actual work. And I'm like, what? okay. So it actually went nowhere. Um, so seven years later, I was like, you know, fuck it. We There's an awareness issue in this industry. And number two, 
I believe that this content is desirable for people. And uh, what made you think that specifically? Because everyone asked me when I told them what I did, they would all say, oh, my God, I just want to do a ride along with you. I just want to see it. So I thought, you know what, let's try this. And my staff was all against it at the time. Mm. They said, this is a fucking bad idea. Don't do it. And I said, well, what are your, what's your reasoning? They said, this is going to come off as uh, callous and insensitive. And I said, no, 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 no. We're not doing it that way. We're doing it educational. Mm. We're going to explain everything we do, why we do it, and we want to show the human component component of it and focus on the technicians that do the work. Were you thinking about this? I'm just curious from like how you wanted to attack it standpoint. Were you thinking about this from we're going to start just doing it in my location, yes. like Tampa? Only we're not going to do any right. It was a pilot. Okay. Right. It was a pilot. And that's all we did for the first probably year and a half. Because you have full control over right. that. Yeah. Right. So I said, okay, I hired a videographer and um, we outsourced the editing. And I said, all I want you to do is follow the crew around and film them on what they're doing. Nothing is scripted. Nothing is censored other than obviously the person's name and address or whatever, which we don't even talk about anyway. So we did that and uh, we started posting the videos and I was like, holy shit, we had 100,000 subs within like a few weeks. And I thought, okay, some on YouTube and YouTube sending me this award. And I'm like, wait, what is this? And <laughs> my videographer's like, Hey, dumbass, you get an award for a hundred thousand subs. And I'm like, uh, I didn't even know that. So I didn't either. Yeah, honest. I didn't know yeah. that. And then she's like, the next one is a million. I'm like, well, that's a big jump. You're almost there. Yeah. We're almost, well, look how many years later, right? Looking you're at 850 something. Yeah. yeah 852. 852. Yeah. yeah. So 852. So. Thank God it worked out and they were wrong. And now we've been doing it ever since. And we even send the videographer to franchise locations to highlight them and highlight the brand. Now, you said there were people against it, worried about it being insensitive, mm -hmm. which was perfectly a reasonable assumption. Yes. But you were coming at it from an educating standpoint. So did you, before you ever rolled camera, did you sit down and say like – I don't want to say write out a course or anything. I'm not going there. But did you sit down and think about, okay, what are what are 10 key things, for example, that people need to know about what we do and so on and so on? Or was it more like, no, let's go roll camera at a scene and then figure out afterwards what the teaching points there would be? So a little bit of both. What I did was I told the staff, the camera is going to be there. Do like you normally do, act like you normally act, but I want you to explain what you're doing. Mm. So then once that filmed, it got edited, it got sent to me. And then I said, okay, um, I can see a picture of a child in the background on the wall, blur that out. Like I would, I was purposely oh, right. yeah. like looking for, cause you're in people's homes. Do you have to get permission to roll camera? Yeah, we had yeah. we had everybody um, sign a video release and we still do to this day. Yeah, I would assume so. Um, and so, you know, I would just make sure that there was no, uh, identifying information. And, uh, then we just started kind of rolling it and learning as we went. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously like it's worked out amazing considering YouTube and very well, yeah. you have four and a half on, on TikTok <clears throat> and TikTok, you said you had like 
What was it? I saw a quick Vice video with oh my you God. a we few days ago. You 2. had 2.2? Yeah, 2.2 million in two weeks. <sighs> I was like, what? This is right when TikTok came out. I didn't even know what it was. This is 2019, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they came to me, um, my uh, marketing director. Hey, there's this new thing, TikTok. We want to post on it. I go, I don't know what the hell that is, but go ahead. I didn't even know what it was. So she's like, it's just shorts. And I was like, I don't know what that is either, Sounds but good. go ahead. It sounds good. <laughs> so post it. And then two weeks later, she's like, you're not going to fucking believe this. We have 2.2 million followers. Yeah. And I go, I'm not sure what that means, but that's great. <laughs> cool. That's the business. That's yeah. great. And, you know, I, I find that TikTok is uh, kind of the unicorn. You don't, I, we still don't really understand how it's monetized. They still don't no. tell people how it's monetized. No. All of a sudden, we just see a money dump in our account, and I don't know why. And it's not a lot of money, not not even no, close to YouTube. I'm not even in. I've I've never even gone into their creator phone because yeah. it's so finicky on there. Oh, yeah. And it's so little. Mm-hmm. And when I've gone to apply, there's always been a problem. Like, oh, we can't read your passport. I'm like, you know what? I, I don't even want to fuck with yeah. this. This is my marketing. Like, I don't yeah. need any money from this. I'll worry about that somewhere right. else because it is minimal. But it was, you know, TikTok to me, I could count. Not I, I can't count all the things I've been wrong about in my life trying to make a call on something. Probably one of the few calls that i've looked at where i'm like how did people not see this was tiktok yep because i went on there i downloaded it in like may 2019 or march 2019 Mm -hmm. and i was going on there and i got to be the only dude in my 20s on there at the time it was oh it was like no one it was all teeny boppers yes 12 to 16 year olds 100 yep most of the videos were pretty much the same but i'm looking at this and the first time i went into it I'm like, all right, you know, it was like a week now. I'm like, all right, let me check this out. I'm like, I'm going to spend 20 minutes. Yeah. Look up. It's been three hours. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. calling everyone I know mm-hmm. between the ages of 16 and 25 with a talent and yep. saying, stop whatever you're doing yep. and go to, no one listened. Right. But it was it, like, they really, and then it's the my pandemic, favorite, it's my know. favorite platform. Um, I find it, and I know this is going to sound weird. I find it so educational. I have oh, learned yeah. so yeah. much from TikTok. Now from a business standpoint, I don't I mean I'm sure people are killing it on there, but you know, we're, we're not hardly making any money on there. You're marketing. You're yeah. marketing and that's branding. that's yeah. what I'm saying because you were also telling me, and correct me if I'm wrong on this if I heard this incorrectly, but you you get a lot of referral business yes. because people see you on TikTok. Yes, a ton. You yeah. never need to make a dime on it. No, that's no, it. No, you don't. Um but the thing is, is like I said, it's the unicorn and their algorithm is and rules are constantly changing. Yes. And it's my I feel bad for my media people because they're constantly trying to figure it out. We'll get a video taken down and for no reason, it'll just say uh, something community, community guideline mm-hmm. violation. Then they'll have to go in and find out, well, what is that? Oh, we used a word death. We got to we got to <sighs> redo it. So they're constantly having to evolve on what we post on different platforms that was my next question Mm -hmm. how do you guys even get some of the shit through that you do because i have learned firsthand like i make it impossible Mm -hmm. for tiktok to give me a community guidelines violation to the point that on purpose for tiktok because it's also no longer at all my main platform i'm youtube i make my concept for youtube shorts first which for my line is right can be very different right from tiktok like i'll have a video do 27 28 million on youtube and it will do a hundred thousand on tiktok this is not optimized oh, wow. yeah. yeah the difference is 
key. Yeah. So I don't care as much anymore. But I, just so that the fans who are just on there know I'm at least posting content, mm-hmm. I will take content from that I would make for YouTube that is perfectly everything's fine yeah. on YouTube, and I will bleep out every single thing and blur ruin the video. Right. And people are like, <laughs> "What the fuck?" And I'm like, "Listen, I make it impossible." Exactly. For them. Yeah. But you guys, you're showing bloody crime. I, mm-hmm. I've been, I've had videos not banned, but they get the the eye on it, which basically yeah takes away all its all its reach. For like a cut on the face. Oh my God. So here's, here's my opinion of it. And I don't know this to be the case. So they'll limit the ad revenue on YouTube. And, um, we feel that they haven't banned us, so to speak, because they're making so much money off of us. So it's almost like a, um, we're going to penalize them by not giving them the lion's share of the money that they're supposed to get that every other, you know, creator gets, we're going to take that part, but we're, we're going to limit the revenue on it because they, they haven't told us, um, you know, we've posted, like I said, blood, uh, brains, um, you know, you name it, we've posted it on there. And I think it's because they see how many views and followers and subs we have that they're like, well, fuck people clearly like the shit. Yeah. Now you're okay. That's the thing on YouTube for the shorts, which is the compared to TikTok. Yeah, you can do anything yeah. on there because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, right? right? It's gonna get interesting when they have it actually monetized in January. Oh, is that when they're doing it? I'm curious to see how that's gonna work because it's not the same. All their the way it it's supposed to be is that you know one out of every ten videos you scroll to will be an ad, which means all the videos around that share ad revenue Um, i don't know if they're going to treat it the same as like limited or whatever we'll see yeah but i actually and this shows you how little i know about some things with this i really got to figure it out but you saying that like all your stuff gets limited meaning Mm -hmm. severely demonetized but they still make a lot of money because they put ads on it and now i pull up we've been pulling up your videos today and i've been paying attention to how many ads are and all of them start with an ad Uh i never thought about that so they're when they limit the monetization, they're kind of defeating the purpose because they still put the ads on there, and that's supposed well, to be the they whole are, point. But they're taking – so I was on – I don't know who told me this, but I was under the impression we're 80-20. The creator gets 80%. YouTube takes 20. Okay. When they limit the ad, it's flip-flopped. <laughs> so they're taking 80%. So if you'll notice, there's no limitation of ads. There's just limitation in our bank account. <laughs> Which is one of the most counterintuitive exactly, things ever. Exactly. So they're just penalizing us – but they're still making money off of it. That's why they'll never kick us off. They're making bank off of us. Yeah, I don't think that's the thing. I don't <clears> think <throat> you do anything like you just you literally post graphic content. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not sexual, it's not violence. Right. right. It's just cleanup. Yeah. Right. The things that they're looking at have to do with spreading what they deem to be misinformation which is a mm-hmm. whole another rabbit hole yeah or things that are like porn or oh, yeah. or on the edge of that that's yeah. different and they, we mark all of ours adult only right so, yeah, so i don't do I. want any yeah. kids you know coming upon it or anything like that and you know i have a five-year-old so right um i don't want him seeing any of that yeah yeah and, and i think that's that's the thing where you hit like is this video made for kids? Yes, no. Yes, That's what we're talking. Yeah. exactly. I've but always hit no on that. I was kind of surprised at our demographic. I don't know if you've ever taken a look at yours. But yours ours has got to be all women, right? 75% yeah. female over the age of 40. Yep. And you're surprised by that? I was, but then it was explained to me that 
that's the same. It mirrors true crime, and they love it. Great segue. Yes, yeah. this I wanted to ask you about this. Yeah. So you're because you started this in 2019. Yeah. And you're like the content. Yeah. You hit the ultimate stride of what had been building in the mid 2010s. Yeah. Of the true crime yes. genre heating up, and particularly with the murder mysteries and stuff for women. So you're not doing murder mysteries, but you are like one of the middlemen within that universe, and mm-hmm. they're all curious about this. I know, and they're all going to hate me for saying this, but I am burnout living living the real life of true crime. So I, I'm not a follower of true crime, <laughs> even though I'm in that yeah. age group or, yeah. you know, uh, but apparently we share the same demographics. Yeah, I, I was talking with your guy, Tony, about this because yeah. he and I were just talking about like different target audiences yeah. and, and exchanging info there. And like I would assume yours is male, probably under the age of 35. Spot on. I knew it. Yeah, my, my strike zone, my the heart and soul of what I do when you cross the platforms yep. all together yeah. is 22 to 25. Mm-hmm. But the the demo is 18 to 34. Yeah. And it's, and it's heavy. Like yeah. it's heavy at 18 and it's heavy at 34. But you know, that probably they have where the graph like peaks yeah. is 22 to 25, but yeah, spot yeah. on. Yeah, and, they, and you know what? YouTube also, <laughs> YouTube changed that. When I started to go on YouTube, mm-hmm. I used to have, you know, in, in podcasting, the majority of the time, there are exceptions, but the majority is female host, Heavy female listener, yeah. right? So call it – and again, there's exceptions, but call it – it's going to be at least 90% females listening, 95. Mm. Males, same thing. You know, if you're like solid, you can do like 80-20. Yeah. There were rare ones like Call Her Daddy had half and half at one point. I don't know if it's still that way, but that's exceptional. I had for a while. I was like 70-30. Like when I was building seventy percent male, yeah, and and nice. I was like, oh wow, all right, so we're we're doing okay with the female yeah. audience because I'm a guy. It's more built for guys. Sure, but like, great, you know, mm-hmm. cool. We're bringing everyone in, and then on YouTube they really focused it. So now it's like, I mean, I have to look at the numbers, but it's got to be ninety percent male, and that's not a bad thing. No, I mean, no, you, it's you just t- how it is. But it's that's what they one did. thing that I love about YouTube is you can get super granular with your audience demographics. I mean, down to the freaking type of computer they're using. They tell yeah. us, you know, is it is it mobile? Is it a PC or is it a Mac? You know, it's like, that's pretty cool in terms of retargeting and remarketing. Yeah. Now, you, it sounds like you, you look at this part a lot. Oh, yes. Yeah. I look at the analytics a lot. That's what you want to say. Yeah. And what is that t- from like a business perspective? What is that? How so, does that help the most? Well, it tells me. So you can take that from the YouTube platform. For example, we're 75% female. Um, over the age of 35. So I can then go into YouTube, I mean, into, I'm sorry, Facebook, and I can target those same uh, demographics. Mm. And that way I'm not wasting money on females under that age or males that aren't probably interested in it. And you have, I'm just painting an example. You have 45, 50 year old females in there with 80 year old mothers. Exactly. Who. Exactly. Die in their house. And, I mean, it's no secret who makes the decisions in households. Females. Women. Yeah. Any buying decision, a woman's going to make it. Yeah. She might not pay for it, but she's going to make the decision. Yeah. So we are making sure that we are in front of them. Especially, especially for 
I would say for like personal family decisions. Oh yeah. Big time. Oh, and big you time. are at the, I mean, you're like a prime example. From the food you eat to the school that your child will go to, that woman is making all those decisions. I'm saying in, um, in conflict, stressful or difficult oh, yeah. times though, is yep. what I'm getting at. She'll make and, the decision. And that's, yeah. Wow. So that, wow, you, you're tactical with that. That's good. Well, that's really I had good. to learn. You know, to be because you didn't have to. You already had a big business. Well, that's but good true. For you. But you know, you can cast a wide net and mm -hmm. blow a shit ton of money, or you can study this stuff and yep. get granular with it. And that's what I decided to do. So when I meet with my team on a weekly basis, I'm like, "Hey, this video is doing well. Why do you think it's doing well?" Versus the one last week that didn't do well. So, and what we've been able to figure out is if I put a, um, say a mold job, video of a mold job, and a video of a gruesome crime scene, we will get 1% of the views on the mold job. Oh, of course. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit. People, and you'll even see in the comments, yes. people are there for the gore. They yep. want to see it. They Why do you it. think that is? You know, I've been asked that a lot. And what I think it is, is it's curiosity of the unknown, right? So I'm curious about things I don't know about. Um, and you know, for example, I don't I don't know anything about flying planes. But if a pilot made a video, that those controls give me anxiety. Like I'll get on a plane and I'll see eight thousand controls. I'm like, how the fuck do you know what you're doing? If he did like a five minute video saying, Well, this is what I do for this, I would watch it because it's mm. curiosity, you know? And I think as a human being, we're all curious of what happens to you when you die. Yes. And it's not pretty. And by me explaining it, like, hey, when you die and you decompose, your heart stops beating, you decompose 15 minutes later. Your body starts breaking down, your urine, your feces liquid, you know, your blood stops, rigor mortis sets in, you know, and people, they know it from biology maybe, but they don't know it. And, yeah. And we're never showing a body. It's just the aftermath. Because, by the way, when, when you get there outside of the shrapnel, apparently, yeah. that's left behind, like, they have at least removed that. Yes. You're left to deal with... The aftermath. Yeah. yeah. The skin, the brains, the skull, the teeth, um, the poop, you know, whatever. How long does it take to treat... Because, like, you and I talked about, you have such high turnover mm. in this, which actually surprised me. Because it's, again, it's this is a highly... Skilled and yeah. specialized job. This is not you're not just plucking someone off the street, no. basic to do this. How how do you train people? And how long does that take? A long time. So and they're that, gone by the time they're trained. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's a good three months to train them, and if they only last six, we're only getting three good months out of them. I mean, it's, it, it's very expensive too. At least you're taking them for your training, but this is another thing. It's like at least you're taking them on the jobs to actually help and be of asset mm -hmm. value doing it. But still, like, it's also technically a risk every time. Oh, 100%. So we, we have to be very selective about who we hire. How do you, how do you decide? We take um, – we have a test called a predictive index. So we get to know kind of what makes them tick, personality. Um, we look for empathy. It's a deal breaker if they don't have empathy. Um, we make sure that they're following our core values, that they represent our core values. Um, and what are those? Uh, authenticity is one. So for example, if somebody comes in, um, 
that's perhaps, I don't know, heavy in tattoos. And um, – You just turn that mic towards you a little yep. bit. Yeah, there you go. Right here. Money. Maybe they're heavy in tattoos or they, you know, their hair is dyed and they're trying to cover it up for the interview. That's not authentic to me. I want you to be who you are. I don't want you to cover up who you are. Mm. So um, we look for that. Um, empathy, obviously. Authenticity, you know, to be be who you are. And then um, we have one um, that is difficult to analyze, but you can kind of get it out of them with certain questions and we call it gift of the struggle. And it comes from my start of, of the business. So we want someone who has not been spoon fed their, their whole life and uh, someone that's not entitled. So maybe someone that's had some life experiences, maybe um, not has always had the best luck or, and we want to be able to train them and lift them up. Mm. And mold them, and to hopefully keep them in the in the in the company. And you also, you were telling me, you, I think it's great, like because you've been fortunate enough to to build this amazing, huge business. Of, yeah. Which I don't know if you count this way with it being the franchise model, but just to at least put a number on it, how many employees do you have across all the? Oh wow, um, I would ballpark a couple hundred, I would say. At least. Yeah, yeah. I would say, I'd say, you know, the average location probably has three or four. Right. So times 46. Maybe. Right. Yeah. And some of them definitely have more too. Yeah. Like but, we do. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. cause I guess it depends on the size of the business in the mm -hmm. area and the types of jobs you, you often get, but still like you were telling me there's, there's people who started on the jobs on the ground and you have working like in the company yeah. with you now. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah. I mean, people... Uh, we'll start out as a tech and um, they'll move up. I mean, that's that's one of the benefits that we have as opposed to a smaller company or even when I first started. I didn't have any, you know, when somebody said, well, what's my growth potential? I'm like, uh, what? it's just me and you, man. <laughs> you know, there there is no growth potential. But, you know, now there is. You know, we've got marketing directors and media and um, website creators and uh, franchise trainers a lot of them want to go into franchise training mm. um, because they start out as a tech so they learn from the ground up so who better to teach a new franchisee than somebody who's walk the walk i actually think i i, I think franchising gets forgotten about in the business conversation sometimes mm -hmm. I, i'm i'm a fan mm -hmm. i think like i said earlier i i learned a lot about it doing that full like term paper on mcdonald's mm -hmm. and seeing what went into it. I also saw how successful a lot of people were and how hard they worked with it. It was very cool because it, 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 it opens up another line of entrepreneurship with a little more stability mm -hmm. where you can, you can get people, you know, you can get some freeloaders and you got to not let those people continue the franchise, which you know something about too, mm -hmm. but you get people who like, they're excited to do this and they feel like they're a part of it. They feel yeah. like they have some ownership in it and, right. and they, technically do because yeah. they're representing the shield I, I i think it's a really especially like talking with some people who have been very successful like you mm -hmm. running a big business that that does that like I, I think it's a very cool thing thank you what i like most about it is it's a team sport yes um entrepreneurship is very lonely you know i did it by myself for a really long time and it's it's lonely and when you're franchising you have a team yeah. and we're all in it for the same common good 
Uh, so it's uh, it's more rewarding. For sure. And yeah. and I think, you know, anytime you can create some sort of like family atmosphere. Yeah. It's just, it's more it's got to be more fun that way. Too, oh yeah, you know? totally. And and again, like I've always believed that I haven't had to face this myself yet because I've I've never had an employee. I've done all this yeah. myself to this point, but it's not going to be that way forever. It's right. like when I bring people in, I want them to feel like this is theirs, including paying them like it. Mm-hmm. You know, like incentivizing them to mm-hmm. to be a part of it because no one is ever going to care. Like you do when no you one. start something. That is just how it is. That's a lesson that I learned. Yeah. Um, took me a little too long to learn that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's obviously you have. You yeah. I mean, it well. just, it's been, a, it's been a long time. And I think that's a common mistake that entrepreneurs make though, is, you know, they get completely disappointed in their employees because they either don't put as many hours in, they don't work as hard. They don't, but, you know, it took a while to understand that, that that's not their baby. It's your baby. Right. You know, they're there because they they either enjoy the work and they, they want to, you know, uh, put food on the table. Um, so you can't have the same expectations. What What's the, the hardest part, though, mm-hmm. in anything to me is when you're talking about the people who are on the front of the front lines. Mm-hmm. So they're not high up in the business, in, in any business. That's not the people who are getting paid the most. So... I'm thinking about the people you hire to start as a tech going yes. out in the field. It's still the most serious work. Yes, it is. And you got it. That's why you put that. I love some of those tests you have. You put them through these different tests to understand their personality to the best of your abilities. You're still going to get something wrong. It's just oh, yeah. The nature of There's it. There's no way. Yeah. Right. But you're doing your best to be able to sift them out. But on top of all that, they're not just doing the job. This is what's amazing. A lot of them are going on camera too. Yes. And they got to talk people through it. So I, I got to imagine, you know, you don't get your druthers of picking every single person to also be like, oh, are you good on camera? Yeah, exactly. But they kind of, a lot of them are pretty damn good on camera. They're okay. I mean, we've had, you can definitely tell by the views, uh, yes. the people that they like and don't like. And you'll, you'll see in the comments, I miss the old crew. Where's, mm. you know, Laura and Juan and, you know, all these other people. And, um, you know, but I can't hire for the camera. I've got to hire for them doing a great job in a safe way and honesty and integrity. I can't – we're not a, a talent agency. I'm glad you said that. That's a good example because you have a – obviously with like the following you've built and what you did where you were also the first people on camera like right. yourself and stuff. Right. It's easy to get caught in the trap of like content world, content, yeah. let's go. But yeah. As much as you want to make great content, and you have, I'll say, you do still have to prioritize the job itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's just um, kind of icing on the cake to be able to film it. I, I just don't know, like, the people who they would have targeted when they came to you in 2012, those mm-hmm. producers and stuff, you know, th- that was for the true crime stuff yeah. was blowing up. Oh yeah. So I will whether or not those producers were any good or not, I'll give them credit for at least being yeah. in the right zip code there. At least they had good ideas. Right? Yeah. But I wonder if they could have foreseen not maybe not foreseen how big it got. I, I, I don't wanna that's hard to do, but foreseen what would make people want to watch this. Like you talk about the curiosity of the unknown. I think that's spot on. Mm-hmm. I think that's you know, like I remember having my friend Skylar Bouchard in here, who 
if you she's a great content creator i'll show you her mm-hmm. stuff after but she's she's a foodie she's been doing it for a decade too like she started yeah. when she was like 17 or wow. something like that and has built a great big following on there and she's mrs happy you know mm-hmm. she's just happy all the time <laughs> making food like uh-huh. it always looks great yeah I, sometimes yeah. i can't watch it because i get hungry yeah but like you know she'll be making all this and she's sitting here telling me i'm like well you know, when you're not on camera and you're not with one of your producers yeah. or something like, and you're just figuring shit out, like, do you like to do anything? She's like, yeah, I listen to podcasts. I'm like, oh, what kind of podcast? And she's like, oh, this is going to sound weird, but I listen to murder podcasts. Yeah. And I'm like, really? And she starts going through this and, you know, she's like, the way she's describing it is there's something about also females are very, I'm going to put words in her mouth a little bit here, so I'll say it wrong, but. It was along the the lines of females are very curious about what, frankly, usually males are capable of doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of like grown that whole space because then it's almost like they want to know well, what do we look out yeah. for and right. stuff like that. And so I would imagine if your audience is also pretty similar, mm-hmm. that aftermath is like I'm just trying to get in their psychology. They're probably thinking like, "Damn, if that ever happened to me, what would my family have to deal with?" <laughs> Well, we've have gotten some emails, um, actually some PMs on Instagram and mes- direct messages and stuff that said, um, I was considering killing myself and um, I was watching one of your videos and I saw what it, the aftermath was and I can't do that to my family, so thank you. And that was a response I was not anticipating. And I've got more than one of those. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you for for messaging. You know, like I we that was left field. I never thought that it would go that direction. Not at all. But that's like so powerful. Yeah. That's I'm a cool obviously very thing. happy about it um, because I think that people people just want to feel better. Yeah. And they don't want to cause more damage to their families and stuff. And I think they didn't think past that when they saw the video of a suicide or the aftermath of one, they thought, I can't do that to my family. I just can't. Wow. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I didn't either until I got the messages. That's cool that, you know, you go to make something where it's just like, oh, we're going to educate. Yeah. And it's it's good for the business too. But then, you know, there's a human element to it. Absolutely. Like in the content. Yeah. There's obviously a human element in what you do. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I saw on your website a few days ago when I was looking that I thought was really, you know, a whole rabbit hole to go down and potentially very cool was it's it's almost like slid in there too. You're not advertising it, but you still say it. And you're talking about, I may get the words wrong, but it was like, in addition to what we do, we are also like counselors and support systems mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So w- w- what do you mean? I, I can use my imagination, but specifically, like, what does that look like? So we have a referral system for therapists. Mm. So, and it's, it's been kind of organic. So several therapists have reached out to us from all over the country and said, hey, I know you come across people that need, whether it's grief or hoarding or whatever it might be, um, would you refer us? And I'm like, yeah. And we just started collecting these business cards and collecting them. And I'm like, we, we need to do something with this. We need to put a, up a map and a database so people can find counselors. So, 
you know, we don't get any money off of it. It's just, you know, it's simply mm. a referral to the to the therapist. But on scene, though, too. <clears throat> we have to act like one, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's more, um, the way we train it is, it's less talking and more listening. Because uh, your opinion is not needed. Your ears are needed. And that's all people want. They just want to listen. They want someone to listen to them. How often when you're doing a job, and let's talk about, you know, the... We're talking about the jobs that involve death specifically right. here, obviously. And there's other important work, whether it be right. like crazy mold or crazy hoarding that didn't yeah. involve a death and there's stuff there. But I want to focus on on the, I guess, the worst of the worst. Like mm -hmm. how often are you doing the job and like the family is staying there the whole time? A lot. Really? And that's always made me uncomfortable. Um, I think I'm more uncomfortable for them than I am me. To hear it, mm. to smell it, to watch it, um, I think would be difficult. Do you really, do you, not not to say like you can turn it off and be unempathetic, but like this is your job. Mm -hmm. So is there, I'm trying to think of the right word here, is there like a level of expectation and acceptance at the same time that that's just a part of it and you're used to it yeah. and you still actively recognize it though, but you can deal with it well, kind of like within law enforcement. The Absolutely. Same idea. It's, it's the same to me. It's the same. I, I can't speak for the other people that clean up, but for me, it's easier because I never see the person. Mm. So there's no human component to it. So I go into it as I'm cleaning up a mess so I could give you a quart of motor oil and you could pour it in your living room and I would treat that the same way that I treat blood cleanup. Mm, for the job itself. It's, a, it's just a job. Sense. It's just yeah. a cleanup. Um, there's certain circumstances that will trigger me um, and I'm sure others as well, like if it's a child mm. um, or, you know... Um, a particularly violent death or maybe a uh, suicide with a um, very detailed note. Mm. You got to, I mean, you got to kind of do what you do to really understand that. Yeah. It's not, you know, I've had a fortunate life in that way. I've never walked in on a dead body. Yeah, that's seen one. That's a good thing. I've never yeah. walked. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? It's just not. But if you would feel differently if you walked in and found your mother yeah. dead, as opposed to walking in and finding a stranger. Yes, of course, right? So I think that's pretty normal. But imagine walking in and just seeing a mess and no person. You would go, "Oh my God, what happened? Like that's blood." But there's no connection right and that's the way i look at it well that was actually once again you're doing this a lot today i was kind of the next <laughs> thing i was going to ask you know you clairvoyant can, you can like <laughs> you can compartmentalize the job of the body you don't see and the people you didn't know and yep. like and like you said there are some things that could trigger a little more for sure but mm -hmm. you know And I hope you never have to do this, by the way, but I got to imagine 
that probably wouldn't matter if you walked in and found your mom like that or something like that. I, like, even if you've seen all the worst shit, you know, I don't know. I don't know. know. That, um, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. If, yeah, if it was somebody that I know I care about or, you know. Um, Such a bizarre thing. I would have to remove myself from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's such a finality to it. There, that's the part that's, you know, and it's weird because I've never, some people are just, I don't want to say okay with death, but process it uh, more healthy. I don't know if that's a, if that's a good analogy, but Makes sense, I'm yeah. not one of those people. Um, so if, you know, if somebody passed away that was very close to me, that's probably something that would take me twice as long to get over. Mm. As opposed to somebody else. And it's because of the finality of it. It's just so unfinished to me. I wouldn't have expected you to say that. Yeah. Most people don't. Um, so it's it's very difficult for me. Yeah. it's Like I said, I, I in that respect, when it, not that I haven't dealt with it. Of course, I've dealt with death. But yeah. I think relative to a lot of other people I know, I think I've had it, knock on wood, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I'm fortunate about that. But... Whenever I have faced it with someone close to me, it's, you know, I'm not this guy who sits here and Googles about it because I can't, yeah. you know what I mean? I can't control yeah. it. I'm I'm just not as curious of a person as I am. That's just something that's not, I don't know. Like, like I just don't do that. I don't know if I'm afraid of it or I, I don't know, but. But you look at it differently. Yes. So for example, if your yes. grandparents died. You're sad, but you also understand they're old. They live their life, right? Yes. As opposed to a friend that's your age. You really that, are clairvoyant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's exactly that's yeah. exactly my thought. That there's uh, unfinished business with that. If it's a friend that's your age, it's not supposed to happen that right. way. I remember when my 101-year-old great-grandma died. Yeah. I mean, it was sad because she was of with course. it like the whole way. Yeah. You know, I was like... I think I was 17 when she died, which is like so cool that yeah. I had that. Yeah. But, you know, it was sad watching my grandma cry at the funeral for oh, sure. Yeah. You know, I'm a human. But all in all, like in the in the grand scheme of it, that was a good funeral week compared to a lot of others because yeah. it's like, damn, she lived 101 years. Exactly. Good for her. And like the finally when she got to the last one, it's like, okay, you know. Yeah, but it's that's different. Like, you'll never hear that at a 10-year-old's funeral. Exactly. Man, he had 10 good years. Good for him. Exactly. Like, no one's going to say that. They're going to go, fuck, he was taken away way too young. You don't hear it at a 70-year-old's funeral. Yeah. yeah. It's There's something about it where it's like... People have an expectation yeah. of when it's okay to pass on. It's a good way to put it. They do. And I think it's different for everyone. So, like, for me, I have no desire to live to 101 years old. If I can't wipe my own ass, I don't want to live. You know, that old. Um, Unless 100 is the new 70 when you get there. Fuck, I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's just like I'm getting old now and everything hurts. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I think everyone has a different expectation of it. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. But it's also like I, I don't it, – it's it's so weird because it gets to like the whole meaning of life thing, I think. That's why it's so hard to put it into words. But the idea that like – even someone who was like expected to die for a long time that was sick, it's like one minute they're here, the next minute they're not. What the fuck? Like, what do you mean? 
you can't. You know, it's funny that you bring that up. We had a case. Um, it was on Mother's Day, as oh. a matter of fact. And uh, this elderly man was going to the grocery store. He was probably in his 80s. <clears throat> and he um, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. And this guy coming out of the grocery store, he hit him so hard that he flew into the handicap sign and it split him. And next to him is a Mother's Day card that he was buying. Oh, Yeah. And uh, it's just like, you know, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. There's nothing you can do about it. And there's no way to ever predict it or know when it is. And that is a an accident. There was no malintent there. There was no. nothing. It was just an accident. And uh, here I am in fr- on Mother's Day in front of a grocery store and a crowd standing around and I'm wiping his brains off from the grocery store wall on the outside. And it's like, it really makes you think you better do the best you can do in this life because your ass could be gone tomorrow. That's the thing, man. It really is. It'll make you think, I'll tell you when you're, when you're, when you have a situation like that, completely unpredictable this guy probably said hey i'm going to the grocery store to get a a mother's day card i'll be right back and he never came back you never fucking know we've all heard so many stories or known people where that happened too and it's like why right but why why don't people wake up more like if you knew today was your last day do better do better than you fucking did yesterday I think it comes back, like you say, why don't people wake up to that? And so it's a great question because we see all the bickering and bitching and fighting mm-hmm. we do in society over things that usually we have no control over. And mm-hmm. sometimes things that it's like, what are you even fighting about? Mm-hmm. Like, just stop. Like, yeah. do your thing. They'll do their thing. But, right. you know, I'm not, I'm personally for myself, not a fan of organized religion. However, no, I, I'm I, not either. I always say, I think the majority of people overall across the different – pick out the main religions – get a lot of good from that and and utilize it in the right ways. I think the minority of people who then use it to try to spew their power mm-hmm. on stuff, that's where it's like, all right, fuck you. And that's also what's caused wars around the world forever. So I, I always am careful to say that because I'm respectful mm-hmm. of, of people who have it and I, I grew up Catholic. You know, I, mm-hmm. I have my own relationship with what's going on up there. But – I do wonder sometimes about, okay, if we're going to evolve past the ills Mm -hmm. of some organized religions, great. I'm with that. That's a good step forward. It's almost though like we're in a little bit of, no pun intended, that purgatory of society Mm -hmm. right now where people – a lot of people have evolved maybe from that mentality to where a lot of people getting out of it. Or moving away from that part of society are just not thinking about meaning at all. And so we've lost in that process of like switching over. We've lost a little bit of the quest for meaning. It's taken for granted. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's The ex- day is that's taken it. for granted. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't like, know how to fix that. but Well, like you mentioned before, you know, you were like, God, you're so calm. You have a lot going on. And I think it's because... I accept the things that I just can't change. Mm. You know, it's one of those things that I'm not going to dwell on it. It could be my last day today. And I'm just not going to, I'm not going to waste energy on bad shit. Good way to be. 
I, I, I wasn't always like that. This job has made me realize how short life is and you can spend it being mad, being a dick, uh, or you can spend it finding the joy in, in little things. 100%. But at the end of the day, I mean, that Ferrari, that Rolex, that shit isn't going with you. Like, it it doesn't mean anything. But the impact that you have on other people's lives, that shit stays forever. Well, you've had an amazing impact on a lot of people. But I do think, you know, in a selfish way, I mean, as well, like, mm-hmm. just like you just said, you have gotten a lot out of it. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. That's an awesome thing. It's changed who I am. It's changed everything about me. And you have kids too, right? Yeah. I've got um, a son, a stepdaughter, and I've got another um, daughter on the way, as a matter of fact. My, you have a daughter on the way right My now? partner's pregnant, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank that's you. That's awesome. Yeah. December baby. That's awesome. <laughs> well, that's exciting. But I, the reason I brought it up <clears throat> is because you can, there's, there's a lot of wisdom that not only can you pass on, but not that you thought about this. I'm just saying this. As your kids get older, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying a five-year-old should sure. be watching your content. But yeah. when they're a little older, you can show them. Yes. And you're there. Like, mm-hmm. you're in the videos. Mm-hmm. And, and you can be like, you know, th- this is – we're getting so worried about this thing. Mm-hmm. This is how quick it happens right, right here. Right. You see this? And it's not to, like, fear monger, like, look right. what it can be. It right. can just, you know – I think because of how respectful you guys are about it as well, it's helpful and like educational too, but like it's a good perspective setter. Yeah, I hope so. You know, um, if I don't show them responsibility and to be, you know, a giving human being, then I failed as a parent because it's not about leaving them wealth or you know, inheritance. And I, I actually don't believe in that at all. Yeah. I don't um, want to do that. Either. I don't believe I'm with it. You. Yeah. I yeah. don't believe in it at all. So, um, the impact that they have on other people and being just kind. Um, but I would totally love for them to, once they get, you know, of age to be able to do kind of some of the things I did with immersion into different cultures and, and different, different, you know, people just to embrace, you know, how lucky we are. That is definitely, that's a huge theme today from all the different yeah. topics you talked about. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, I, I'm also like, whenever I talk with people who are actually literally forced to do that as well, like in, in the line of work mm-hmm. you do, for example, it's like, I love that. You know, I was mm-hmm. telling you in this job, it's kind of a benefit I get because I talk to all yeah. different people. Yeah, I think that's like selfishly the greatest thing ever. And so I wish mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I talk with friends who have all different points of view and political beliefs and everything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm talking to the people, let's say politically extreme or not, not even – I don't have a ton of friends who are extreme to be honest mm-hmm. with you. But who are hardcore one way or the other. I, I can never help but think when I get off the phone, you know, they haven't really seen the other person. They haven't really seen – the other circumstance that that has different priorities than theirs. And maybe if they were forced to, we could get along a little better. You totally. Know? 
Yeah, I feel, you know, as I've gotten older, unfortunately, I feel like we're more divisive than we are coming together. And um, that's unfortunate. It really is. Well, content, I don't like to even say content about what you do, to be honest with you, but putting out quality things for people to see. Mm-hmm. That they can that that can put things in perspective in, in your case for them I th- I think is is a great public service to do so I hope you guys keep doing it yeah and I appreciate it I hope so too um, you know we were talking about the YouTube algorithm and stuff and how that's changing and I think we're going to end up putting our content on our own website oh cool what? just behind a wall crimescenecleaning.com. Crimescenecleaning.com. and yeah. right now just to be clear for people and I'll put the links and make sure. Mm-hmm. Tony, if you're out there, listen, make sure I do this too, because sometimes I forget this, but I'll put the links to your different socials in the description as well. But you are, you're at Crime Scene Cleaning, correct spelling on TikTok, YouTube, and, and Instagram. And Instagram. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all three, same thing. Yeah. I'll put that on the screen as well. And you're talking about doing it like your own subscription model on yeah. your website? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So basically, Patreon, instead of going to Patreon, we'll have it on a wall on our thing, kind of a Netflix type model um, where we don't have to worry about the content. Do you have to wait? Now, I don't know as much about Patreon. I have to learn that. Mm-hmm. But do you have to worry about that as much on Patreon? Not at all. There's no censorship. So why don't you do it there? Because you pay, you pay them a fee. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. They you take wanna... 20%, something like that. That's not horrible no it's not horrible yeah. but if we have the ability to do it on our page we might as well just do it people have been talking about that now for a few years yeah. it's we haven't seen enough use cases yet but someone's got to do it a lot of creators are doing yeah. it so yeah. let's if, if you have good examples i'd love to see that too, yeah if yeah you'd send me some. tony has several that he's okay. kind of modeling off of right now uh to put ours on so it's you know basically kind of like a it'll be like a netflix you can search terms like mm. if you want to see just hoarding videos, you can type in hoarding and only those videos will come oh, up. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. That might work really well for you. Yeah. Guys. Well, it go, kind of goes along with our merchandise and the training courses and, you know, all that kind of crap. Keep it, it all in one place. Yeah. You're probably going to expand this business <laughs> to like not yours. I'm saying like in general, like there's more people who are now aware of even if it's not a job exactly like yours, but the types of th- things like what you do I hope so. that probably have a small supply. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I met someone yesterday actually on an estimate and she's a brand new business. She does what I do. She's hmm. a brand new business. And she was like, oh, I've been wanting to meet you. And it was just happenstance that we met. And I was like, keep it up. Don't quit. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Don't quit. I said, it's going to get hard and it's going to get harder and harder. Don't quit. So it's, um, it's, you know, don't, don't knock somebody down because they're your competition. That's good for you. It's good for you. It keeps your business honest. Hmm. It's a good way to look at Absolutely it. Absolutely it is. Like the world would be a shitty place if we only had one grocery store, wouldn't it? Agreed. Yeah. I get lost sometimes. Like if you listen to – we've talked about it before, but the guy Peter Thiel wrote a book. Yeah called zero to one yeah and he's like i believe fully in monopolies <laughs> and he ma- here's the thing like he makes great arguments but i'm like yeah i i feel like that's not great for society though you know like that said there's still a balance with it like i think if there's competition in place that needs more supply like yours that's great yeah 
but he his example he uses is the extreme one. Like, yeah. what if you have eight Korean restaurants in the same strip of a neighborhood in L.A.? Do you really want to compete on, like, quality of food? No. So there's a balance to it. But I, I see what you're saying because it's like that gives – in the end, if there's people, to use your words, keeping you honest, then – Everyone gets the best type of service. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because the government says, oh, we don't want to allow monopolies, but they sanction. I mean, they're, oh, they're, yeah. they're proving what I have, um, my electric company. I don't have a choice. There's only one yeah. where I live. So it's like, that's called a fucking monopoly. Yeah. Like, and you guys aren't doing anything about that. So you deal with insurance too. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. It's the things that like are boring that people mm-hmm. let go, but the things we're all on like social media, that's where we put all the complaints, which is fine. Yeah. You know, we complain about some monopolies there. Fine. Yeah. But like, there's a lot more than that. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Well, so. you can get a lot of dissension when you keyboard pirates, you know, it's easier to yes. uh, complain or, or otherwise behind, you know, the screen. Definitely true. <laughs> one, one other question that yeah. I, I had for you, because it, it was on that vice video i watch which i'll also put the link to that in there because it's it's actually quick oh, it's I like love six vice. minutes yeah. i love vice I love too vice. They, they get a lot of shit these days i still love like Dude, a lot of their them. content their shit is really raw and yes. original and i love it yes um but in there you talked about how now people like forget just the business and what it does like grow and get followers on social media and how that affects the bottom line but a lot of people will tag you in things yeah. and ask for your expertise. Yeah. What is like what what kinds of, are oh they just God. is it usually just like a specific <laughs> crime scene and they're asking like what you would do or You know, it started out that way. And that's funny that you bring that up because one comes to mind and it like it was at the beginning of TikTok and this woman um moved into a new house and there was a giant fucking spot on her hardwood floors <laughs> and she's going live on TikTok, and she's like what the fuck is this guys what is this so everyone tagged me in it and we're like please help her please help her so i did a video and i told her exactly what to do to see if it was human body fluid and she did it and it fucking was so i was <laughs> like oh shit so i felt bad for her so i packaged up a tyvek suit and some gloves and a mask because I figured she's going to have to clean. She's like in Alaska. She's going to have to clean this up you herself. You don't have a franchise. We don't. There. We don't. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for you. Here's how you do it. So um, now we get things like, hey, how do I get mold out of my grout? You know, and that's fine. I'm happy to answer all that. But it started out much more nefarious than that. Oh, my God. It was funny. She uh, should have gotten a free house out of that or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. I think she was renting it or buying. I don't know. She just bought it or something. But I was like, holy shit, because she did it on camera and she did what I told her to do. And I was like, oops, yeah, that's a body. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you, But you're still getting a lot of that yeah, these days. Yeah, we get quite a bit of it. Do you get a bunch of it from like specific true crime cases where they're asking? No. No. It's all personal. Okay. So, um, that's cool. A lot of them, hey, I just moved into this house. It smells weird. How do I know if it's a meth lab? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, here's what you do for that. And then, <laughs> you know, some of the stuff, it's like, you know, how do I get the rust stain out of my pots and pans? I'm like, I clean up crime scenes. I'm not a chef, you know, I don't know how to do that. So, one, one I, I'm sorry, I got to ask this. Yeah. This was one more thing. Yeah. The meth lab stuff. Yeah. How often are you cleaning up meth labs? Not often enough. <laughs> Not often enough. How many meth labs are there out there? Millions. 
Really? Yeah. That's one drug. I've never seen that drug in person. I've never seen like crystal meth in person. It looks like uh, white and brown sugar mixed together. You know the raw, really? the yeah. raw brown sugar yeah. with the white mixed together. So it's not fully brown or fully white. It's like dirty. And people usually melt it and smoke it? Or you can inject it, smoke it, snort it, so and you, it's nasty shit. So you're cleaning up like Walter White, you yeah. know, trailers and Yeah. Shit Do you like remember that. Breaking Bad when they um, teamed up with the pest control company? Yes. That was fucking genius, by the way. It was. That was pretty fucking genius. Yeah. So when he went into those houses, did you see how he set up containment in the house? Yeah. That was him actually being conscientious because that cook would have fucked that house. By him containing it the way he did, it's only in that area. So you it's deal the fumes. You deal with decontaminating all the walls. Got it. Everything because the fumes. And those that it can't be that hard to get caught if you're doing that. To get caught? Yeah, because like I mean, the fumes are going everywhere. No, right? you can cook it in your fucking garage, in your attic. And it just oh, you're saying it just goes on the walls. It doesn't. Yeah, right? and through your air air ducts. So if you say, hey, I only want to do it in here because I don't want my kids to get sick. Well, you got the air on. So it's going through your kids' rooms <laughs> right there. It's like, come on, genius. Oh, my God. Meth Labs in Florida. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to cut it there because we'll be there all day. <laughs> I haven't even talked about Florida today. <laughs> See, Danny, I got through the episode without going after Florida. Florida's an interesting place. Do you remember me. Germany and Florida with uh, the love line, Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla? No. They had this contest. People would call up with some crazy shit, and they would have to guess, did it happen in Germany or Florida? <laughs> They're saying everything crazy in the world happens in Germany or Florida. I'm uh, telling you, it was Florida 90% of the time. Germany is a different... Yeah. yeah Florida, man. Different wavelength. Florida, but man. Florida, man. It's, I call it the territory of Florida. Yeah. Like, I bring my passport to the airport you when should. I go to Florida. You should. It's the, like, you want to yeah. check this? I live in the sample? strip club portion, if you're showing the map. My kind of part of the portion. Uh, yeah. Exactly. I don't blame yeah. you. All right, we'll visit you when I'm down there next. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming up here. Thanks for having me. I, of course, I really enjoyed this. Everyone could check out your content on those links I provide below. It's at Crime Scene Cleaning on all socials. It's great stuff. Like, I don't even care if you're not interested in true crime. Like, it's just interesting. So hope everyone does, and we'll do this again at some point. Thanks again. All right. Everybody else, you know what it is. Give it a thought. Get back to me. Peace.